ended with my dad, you know, a lot of things happened at the same time. My sister and I have a memory of, like, a French man who was, you know, right in the vicinity, like, literally picking up his daughter and tossing her over the fence right there, being like, like a bleu, you know, like, yeah. kind of like, what the fuck? And my dad ended up punching the pony in the face. Oh, my God. Yo, sucker, you got a big mouth. Coming up, I was confused. My mommy kissing the girl. Confusion the curse coming up in the cold world. Daddy ain't around, probably out committing felonies. My favorite rapper used to sing, check, check out my melody. I wanna live good, so shit, I sell dope for a full finger ring. One of them go ropes. Nana told me if I pass, I get a sheepskin coat. If I can move a few packs, I get the hat. Now that'd be dope. Tossed and turned in my sleep that night. Woke up the next morning, niggas just stole my bike. Different day, same shit, ain't nothing good. In the hood, I run away from this bitch and never come back if I could. Made it a love it, the underdogs on top. And I'm gonna shine, homie, until my heart stops. Go ahead and be me. Hey everyone and welcome to episode 11 of the Mr. Baby Podcast. This week we sat down with a friend of ours, Clara Davis, who uh, runs a bar here in Shanghai that we frequent quite often. It's a great bar called District. Um, And she also is the founder or creator of Unravel, a monthly storytelling show here, live show in Shanghai. Um, that she hosts different places every month. Uh, she'll pick a theme, have people come in, tell their stories, kind of like what we're doing here, but live. Um, so that's Unraveled. Uh, so she'll talk a little bit about that event. And also, at the end of this month, uh, Beryl and I will be doing a group art show, Top 5, which we've done before, Series 2, with Unraveled. It's a co-branded event, so please, if you're in Shanghai, come come check that out. Say hi to us. That's at the end of July. Um so Clara tells us a little about her Unravel events, uh, some great childhood stories of meeting an idol, and then some interesting adult adventures she's gotten into, both here in China and back in the U.S. Um, if you want to find out more about Unravel, you can check them out. They're on WeChat at Unravel Shanghai, one word, or on Instagram at Unravel.Shanghai. So check that out. Um, check out her bar district. I think it's just district or district Shanghai on WeChat. And of course, check out the top five pop culture poster show series two happening at the end of this month, July 27th at Shing Cafe. It's in the United Valley Complex. It's at Chengle and South Shanxi Road. Uh, starts at six. And for more information on that, the address, the time, everything, you can check out top5postershow.com. That's T-O-P, the number five, postershow.com. So check those out. Uh, as always, like and subscribe us if you're listening on iTunes and share to all your friends if you could. And without further ado, here is Clara. Clara. So we're here with Clara, and uh, can you give us a 60-second life story? Oh, God. That is a, that's a heavy order. Um, 60 seconds of life. I'm from New York originally. Went, uh, I don't know if that's important life stuff or not. Sure it is. Um, Where are you from? Yeah. Went to high school in Connecticut. Went to college in D.C., came over to China after college, mm-hmm. like randomly on a whim with my boyfriend of the time, um, and then, yeah, stayed in, stayed in, we went to Chengdu in the West, and then we stayed there oh, for, cool. yeah, crazy, 
We stayed there for two years. Um, I actually just the other day found my like old blog from <coughs> my early days. When you were in Chengdu. When I was in Chengdu. Was it a, the Mysteries of China blog? It was something like that. But I, I was always so embarrassed by that by that blog. But then I yeah, then I found it again, and I was. Why, was, I, why are you embarrassed about it? I don't know. Just because, I think anytime you like look back at what you were writing six years ago, you mm. could be embarrassed. Like every six years, I end up embarrassed. But um. But no, actually now I'm quite grateful because there's like so many, so much, so much detail in there that yeah. now I totally forget about. But you know, like reading back through, it's pretty. But cool. a lot of it, like the shock of China, and then you look back oh, and yeah. you're like, oh, that yeah wouldn't shock me today. I, know. I was talking to somebody the other day about like uh, I still use Instagram, but don't post quite often because I'm like, oh, I guess I never have anything to take photos of, and then I'll realize like every day on my way to work, like my block is very like like. Uh, residential Chinese right. and it is like chaos and yeah, the weirdest so shit every material. day but I've just zoned it all yeah. so out because I'm so used to it now it's like god if people saw this they'd be like blown away by this yeah, <laughs> I, think, so. I think that's exactly like what it is I read this morning that I was talking about being in like a, a hospital or yeah. something some medical incident and I was like um, you know sometimes I need to remind myself that like People that the, the system here is different, and it's not going to change in the one or two years I spend here. Yeah, and it was like six years ago, like, and I'm still kind of like thinking those. I still have to remind <laughs> myself that like nothing's going to change, Clara. No. Nothing's going to change. Like, you you have to, to change. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I still have to be the one to change. So, uh, what did you study in university? I did um, international relations, which I went to okay. like a school in DC that was, you know, that was kind of what everyone was into. I didn't really know what. I wanted to study. I had yeah. very little. What sort of relations or where international? All sorts of things are doing it. All the relations. International. I like to say I had a lot of international affairs. You know. Mm. No, just oh, kidding. That, that's not true. <laughs> um, but no, yeah. I think it was because you were in DC and and people were mm -hmm. super into poli sci or international yeah. relations because the professors in those fields at that school were like also in their their day jobs were like, you know. In government, yeah, or like yeah. in these really everyone's high... kind of in that industry. In yeah, some way so it was kind of like an over. It was super interesting, but I, I didn't, I didn't focus at all on Asia or China. I mean, I don't even know where that came from. Yeah, you said you came here on a whim. Yeah. Can you elaborate? <laughs> I mean, it was like a true whim. Yeah. Um, yeah, I graduated and I, I, I worked at a at a law firm for a year because I thought I wanted to do law school, mm -hmm. and. Yeah, I guess like halfway through the year, I, I was dating this guy who was a year younger, so he was about to graduate, and we were just like, let's move somewhere. I, I mean, I don't even know which one to like blame it on, because mm -hmm. like, I really don't remember. But um, yeah, we, we did it, and I had a best friend, I still have a best friend, thank God. Um, she was doing the Peace Corps at the time, mm -hmm. and the Peace Corps, I don't know what their presence is in China now, but they were only in, like, the southwest of China. And so even though she was in, like, a random tiny city, you know, that had never, ever seen foreigners before yeah. she arrived, they were, like, headquartered in Chengdu. Mm. So she had spent time in Chengdu. And then I had another friend from college who was working for the State Department. Like, he was one of those people who, like, out of college, when you have that conversation, like, oh, what are you doing next? And everyone's like, I don't know. And he was like, I'm headed to Chengdu, China, to represent the government, you know, like, have this baller job. And he, so when we started thinking about China, he also was like, you guys should really consider Chengdu. Like, you know, forget about Beijing or Shanghai. Yeah. Those places are so 
last year. Out, yeah. yeah, it's like so saturated. Um, and now here, here we are, yeah. six years later. Like, I mean, I've only visited Chengdu, um, but I remember thinking it was so fascinating. There's so much, uh, there's so much culture there, and a lot of different influences. Like, it's a lot of Tibetan yeah. influence, and like a lot of like, I mean, Western China versus uh, versus like us East Coasters, I yeah. guess, is very, very different. Totally. Uh, how, I mean, like, I can imagine it wasn't a difficult, uh, wasn't an easy transition by any means, particularly, like, food, and it's famously the hottest city It was China. ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And that's what I also think now... Spiciest. 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 And it was quite hot temperature-wise <laughs> as well, although yeah. Shanghai gets... I think they're actually on the same kind of yeah. latitude. Is I remember just, like... like one? Yeah. I think horizontal longitude because it goes oh, long, oh. long ways around isn't that the way to remember <sighs> not, not so big in uh, <laughs> geography uh, I think that's right but yeah I remember like just going and buying a meat bun in yeah. Chengdu and it was it was like covered in red oil oh yeah yeah <laughs> I'd never seen anything like that before <laughs> it's just like it just permeates everything yeah, yeah um, I mean the food is incredible and I think when we first got there, um, yeah, I think we sort of unknowingly dove into, like, the deeper end, right? And if I had done it the other way, like, if I had spent time in Shanghai and then tried to relocate to Chengdu, I think that would be super hard. Because I think you get used to so much here. Yeah. Um, and I think the only way that it worked for me was, like, rather spending time there. And, yeah, like, the food is amazing, but I also, I can't even, I, I don't even understand how we were able to eat as much spicy <laughs> stuff as consistently as we were because it is. You just have to get used to it. Yeah, your, your body has to adjust. But it was definitely pretty pretty overwhelming. Like everything was very mesmerizing. So what made you take the jump from Chengdu to Shanghai? So I was in Chengdu for about two years, coming on to coming up to two years. What were you doing? Um, a lot of weird stuff. Just like odd jobs all over. Yeah, I think. I, you know, I started trying to do teaching stuff and tutoring stuff, but then I, I was doing all sorts of random Lawai foreigner mm -hmm. jobs, like, you know, modeling, modeling, car, <laughs> car modeling, um, you know, lead singer in a band of other foreigners to go to like random remote cities and play at like real estate fairs. What kind of music did you play? Oh God. What was Whatever they song? wanted. I don't think I had a hit song. I think I was, like, I've tried to burn that out of my memory. No. You definitely have this like lead in. It's like, I was a singer in a band. You try to gloss over it. Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. No, we're coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Like. yeah no. Um, I think, yeah. The, but that was just the kind of stuff that was uh, available. What What was the uh, expat community like there? It was so different than here. And that's another thing that I always think about, especially when I you know, talk to people about Shanghai versus Chengdu. And actually a really good friend of mine from Chengdu just moved... I have two really good friends from Chengdu six years ago who are now in Shanghai or back in Shanghai. One of them just moved here um, from years in between in Dublin. And it's like a different world. I mean, Chengdu six years ago, I feel like there was like 25 expats <laughs> and two bars or restaurants yeah. that were Western, run by Westerners, you know? Um... And I know it's way different now. I actually haven't been back in a few years, but I've heard that especially like F&B in Chengdu, foreign run F&B, um, mm -hmm. I think the has changed dramatically, and yeah. the expat population definitely has increased. 
It was it. Uh, we we used to have friends in uh, Cambodia, and there was yeah. the expat scene there. And we heard kind of it was very one of those. It's so small that it's like you can't really hide. Oh yeah. And once you have friends, like everyone knows each other, and it's like which I still which is feel... great and bad at the same time. Yeah, and I still feel like that is the case in Shanghai. Sometimes, <laughs> like I still find this quite. To feel like a small world. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Chengdu was next level. I mean, we had very bizarre, interpersonal, quite incestual, <laughs> you know, social ties. Because yeah. I, there was so few. You have to, yeah. Yeah, in your age group and your kind of, like, demographic, they're doing different stuff. But I ended up, to answer your original question, I ended up working for, like, a wine. Like, some American guys had started a wine import distribution. Mm. I think it, was, it started in Shanghai, but then they had opened, like, their Chengdu office. It was all kind of a bit of a... Not a joke, but um, it was definitely, <laughs> like... Mark. Yeah. I think I remember, you know... Yeah. I think I was getting paid, like, 3,000 RMB for, like, a month for, like, a full-time job. <laughs> and it was just, like, pretty crazy. How yeah. much was your rent? I think... Again, in my vlog this morning, I saw, I, I wrote that, I was really, I was reading back, um, that I got a foot massage there, and it seemed like a little bit almost on the nicer side for 35 RMB. Which is like $5. Which is $5. And <laughs> out here, it's like, yeah, that, I mean, yeah, that's pretty intense. And I think in Chengdu six years ago, I'm pretty sure my half of the rent was like 1,300 RMB, or uh -huh. 1,400, I think it was a, so, I mean. Quite affordable. <laughs> Quite affordable. I remember it's not like, having to like do very much. Yeah. yeah. I don't think you had to do very much to get mm -hmm. um, get by. To get by. Yeah. If you just wanted to have kind of a basic. I mean, we were. All, I was always like the poorest. Of, yeah. I mean, of, right my friends. School, yeah. yeah, I was right out of school, but but they're not models and lead singers. Well, they yeah. probably were. <laughs> it was probably those options were also probably available to them. They were probably just like too good or professional for them. <laughs> uh, so then you made your way to Shanghai and. Yeah. Did well, you guys have plans or? No, I mean, so I was in Chengdu and I was kind of realizing that I that, that wine job was not going mm -hmm. to um, be the my my dream job. <laughs> so I actually applied to grad school and I went. I did a program that was a year in London and then a year in Shanghai. So that was kind of my plan to get out of Chengdu, get out mm -hmm. of China, but then and go to London where I'd always always wanted to study and live, and then be able to come back into China because I didn't feel finished with yeah. China, but I wanted to re-enter with some more structure than my original. Yeah. Well, if you came here right out of school, yeah. it's like, yeah. I think it was, this is the only, basically, adult world you know. And right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's weird. I, I definitely, oof. That's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy that I've never, yeah, I've never lived yeah. in, like, a young, a graduated adult in America. Yeah. We have, I've actually met a couple people occasionally that you meet here that are similar to that where it's like their whole adult life has been here sometimes it's like okay but sometimes you can tell it's oh, like i sure. mean but we always talk about people have peter pan syndrome yeah, which is yeah. like you're in this expat bubble you grow up but not quite like yeah i've definitely met people who are like our age like 30 and you can still tell they act like a little too much like 21 22 year old yeah. i mean like, i think socially like for for westerners Mm -hmm. Obviously, I've never had this experience, but, I mean, I think, particularly, like, six years ago, it was still kind of a phenomenon, like, where you attracted all of this attention, and people, oh, yeah. like, kind of revered you, and, I mean, for some people to transition back to, you know, uh, to America or the West, where 
they're just like another face in the crowd is quite jarring. For sure. Mm-hmm. I had one of my best friends from home from when I was quite young always says jokingly but definitely mm-hmm. seriously that she th- you know that I stay over here because I can like feel more popular and like my ego <laughs> can just get like yeah. constantly which so, like, is weird because yeah. I've definitely had some very But the other thing is like questioning not moments. even ego wise it's like you could be like yeah like, yeah. my whole adult life's been here. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know people in New York. Or, like, you know, you might have met people here in New York. For sure. Like, no, 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 but I've spent all my time here. Yeah, <laughs> so and like, I think at a certain point, like, especially now. So then I haven't left since I came back to Shanghai after yeah. that year in London. And it's like, by this point, just as though if you had spent your young adult life in New York or D.C. Yeah. or wherever, you build your network, you yeah. build, like, you, you're kind of on a, on a path. I mean, I don't know where my path yeah. is fucking going, but <laughs> I don't have that in mm-hmm. in... I have that here, right? So, yeah. it's weird. Uh, what did you think you were going to do after your master's? Mm. Not what I am doing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I needed a master's, or two masters for that. You know what I mean? <laughs> what was your master's? My debt would have... Um, <laughs> my master's was like a global media and communications program. So, it was, a, it was more of the program itself that I, I had kind of always, mm-hmm. for the couple years before, had, had known about it and thought that sounded really perfect for me. Um, because communication and media and journalism was something I was interested in, mm-hmm. but I don't know what I really wanted to to do. I don't think I ever was planning to go into like news journalism or anything like this. I don't you know. To keep doing your Chengdu blog. Yeah, I wanted to just be like super chill and have a famous blog. <laughs> it never worked out. Um, yeah, I really didn't know, and then you know, kind of through the program, obviously the London year was very different academically and socially from the, the chi- from its China half. Yeah. Um, In what ways? A bit more rigorous, I'd say. Okay. Um, yeah. I was at a pretty intense school in London that you were very accountable. Yeah. And it was a super theoretical course, which I thought was weird because again, because that wasn't my background in undergrad, I thought it was a bit... I didn't realize how theoretical like media and comms could be. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think those, that's a field where it's a, a little like self-evident. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was really, it was it was really interesting. And I think as I did that, and then when I came to Shanghai and did the other half, you know, kind of coming up with my dissertation research and all that stuff, sort of put me in a position where I thought maybe I understood more what I'd like to do with that knowledge, but I didn't end up doing it. <laughs> what was the student body like in those two places? In London, it was very, I mean, I th- so in my program, I was one of two, in my immediate program, I was one of two Americans, and everyone else was from all over continental Europe, and that was awesome. Like, you know, of course I had been in, in China already, so it wasn't like I had been surrounded by only Americans, but definitely in London, I started feeling like, you know, that... I kind of, yeah, it was just, it was super international. Uh-huh. Um, and everyone, I would also say that I don't think anyone else I knew was actually, minus the other American girl, was like paying for the program. I think everyone else coming from all around Europe, mm-hmm. you know, their governments or their university or whatever, there's mm-hmm. so many grants, and, which I th- I thought at the time was a really interesting observation um, because Americans pay so much for higher <laughs> education and I had already paid so much for higher education, so it's kind of like, whoa. Um and then I traveled to Shanghai with those same seven mm-hmm. guys um, and girls. 
Um, and that was very intense because we'd obviously all gotten quite close in London. And then we had to like come and do this whole year again in Shanghai. It was all the same people. It was the same people. It was seven of us. Were you like the expert? The, I'm pro- the I'm leader sure of that, the China pack? I'm sure that I annoyed them. <laughs> Definitely, um, when we got here, it's like, no, 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 guys, let me order. Like, let me do this. And then, China, we this do is this. how it is. This here. is how it works here. No, and of course, you know, within months, um, some of the more ambitious of them had like surpassed me in like language <laughs> skills or whatever, even though I'd had two years on them. Um, but yeah, and then it, so then we all graduated and everybody kind of, it didn't really make, Two, uh, there was a couple in the class who moved up to Beijing for, for jobs, and then everybody else left to take jobs elsewhere. And I was sort of like, again, shit, you know, my plan has now ended. What no. what do I do? <laughs> so you just stayed in Shanghai. Yeah, so I stayed in Shanghai. What did you do then? How did you get to where you are now? I, um, I wanted to stay here, but I didn't really know what. Um, and I kind of fell into doing like a a food project with a friend of mine at the time, which is kind of like a pop-up thing. And I did that for a few months and was really, really into that and all the kind of people. And is that, um, no? Yeah. And then <laughs> through, through that, I, um, yeah, I met the guys who are now investors in the project that I'm working on now and it's a it's a Belgian beer brewing group brewery yeah. group um, and we just had hit it off really well they were sponsoring some of our events like of the, the pop-up thing and they kind of at one point just had a conversation with me that was like we're looking to um, back a kind of a brick and mortar like a mm-hmm. venue do you want to pitch yeah. us a business plan concept mm-hmm. bar idea. So you started a bar here, district. It's freaking weird, man. Yeah. It's totally crazy. <laughs> the dream the very short the version. The dream everyone says to do is start a bar. Yeah, when you're like, you when you're not it. sure what to do after yeah. you've graduated, open a bar in China. There you go. Was that, a, I would assume, a difficult road to get this project? It was a pretty difficult road, yeah. Were you aware how difficult it was going to be, or did you have like... I think I had some hints, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and hindsight is twenty twenty. I'm sure I could have had even more hints if I had tried a little harder, but um, to under to mm-hmm. try a little harder to see the hints. But um, yeah, no, it was it was a pretty intense process. I think it took four ish five months from the kind of inception, starting the planning mm-hmm. up until we actually opened. Yeah, and that that just was. I mean, a million crazy stories and weird moments of trying to get that going. <laughs> what was your initial pitch or initial concept for District? My initial pitch, which I still have my super casual deck on um, my computer, <laughs> was that it would be, <clears throat> for some reason I'd always wanted to open a restaurant in my life called District. Previous to that. But I thought that that would be something that would happen like much later, you know, after I'd like had a career and then I'd kind of open a passion side project. But then this sort of literally presented, presented it. itself yeah. and I was like, well, let's just, <laughs> let's use it now. Um, and so I kind of knew like the vibe that I wanted. Why district? I don't know. I really don't know. 
I mean, maybe because I spent so much time in D.C. and thought about the District of Columbia quite a lot. But always, like, always love the name. Yeah, I don't know why. I just thought the name that really stuck with me. Um, it's super basic. I don't think there's anything that special <laughs> about it. It's not. So what was the vibe? So the vibe was trying to be kind of casual and warm like something from the Midwest, which is where my mom's family's from, and also where one of the breweries that um, the, the Duval, the Belgian mm-hmm. brewery, had just started importing into China. This awesome brewery in Kansas City called Boulevard. Um, and so I wanted to kind of capture some of that sort of like homey atmosphere, but then more of like a Brooklyn aesthetic, as I said <laughs> at the time. Um, who said it the other day? Kind of like a like an elevated dive bar or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think one of our first reviews was that called it called it hip but accessible. Yeah. And my <laughs> my friends like have given me a really really hard time um, ever since calling me yeah. hip but accessible. Yeah, but accessible. But that was, I guess, actually the the objective, right? That mm-hmm. it, uh-huh. that it didn't feel. Yeah, I don't know. I think self. I think I just tried to create the bar that. I would really want to spend yeah. my time in. And I do think that's like kind of the biggest feedback that, that we still get. I'd like to think that people feel very comfortable there and all different types of people are kind of like drawn to it. Uh, so before we go too far into this, oh, yeah, uh, how about you also tell us about the current project besides your bar that you're working on, uh, Unravel. Yeah. So maybe explain it and then sure. how it got started. Sure. Um, so Unravel is something that I started five months ago now. I don't really know why, but one day I just came home and told my boyfriend that I really wanted to start a live storytelling mm-hmm. um, platform ser- event series here. And I mean, I think I was, I've always been really into storytelling. I love to write stories and I'd been listening definitely to a lot of awesome storytelling podcast at the time. I think I was in like a podcast mm-hmm. fever. Was it was it maybe a reaction to working at the bar full time? I think it was I definitely think that part of it was that I'd been working at that bar full time for a year and a half and I was I definitely felt like I was looking for like my next creative outlet. Mm. Um and I think that you know I I am really into food and beverage, but I'm also really into stories and writing mm-hmm. and community stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I I sort of started thinking about it, did a little bit of, you know, due diligence into what was happening in Shanghai in that scene. And I think you, I mean, you've definitely had people do storytelling stuff here before. Um, and then you have a pretty stable like comedy and improv mm-hmm. scene that a lot of people are involved in. It's pretty yeah. cool. Um, but I didn't see that there was anything happening at that moment that was exactly the same kind of format that I envisioned. So I just kind of picked a date, went on a website and used a logo generator that was (laughs) later uh, cleaned up dramatically by Beryl. Um, And yeah, I just kind of gave it a go back in February. Mm. And then the first event, and the first one we actually did at District, Mm. because I just, I had no idea if people would respond to it or not. Um... Yeah, so it's a monthly thing. It's premised on a theme that is definitely up for interpretation. Mm -hmm. Um, And people 
the idea is that people would pitch me stories and then we kind of have a little bit of back and forth and I yeah. set a lineup of six or seven. Yeah, so I was going to say the one great thing is I think basically what got you to start this project and what me and Beryl try to do with some of our projects is I think a lot of people have this creative outlet and then mm -hmm. when they start working, if they're not necessarily doing that, they don't, they end up doing nothing. So they have to kind of, you know, for us at least, we force ourselves to do these events or projects so we at least have some creative output. And it's great for you, but also great for, like you're saying, there is stand-up here, but I think that's a huge step for some people. For sure. Who have that, like, want to just perform. So it's, like, yeah. a great place for people who are, like... Who don't have that. Yeah, who don't have that, and this is, like, their one chance to, like... Right, I mean, I, I think know, the idea of this is for, is that anyone can tell a story. Yeah. And as you guys have seen in a couple that you've that you've been to, I hope that the people who stand up and tell those stories really do come from all different levels mm -hmm. of, of confidence, of previous experience or ability. Like, I definitely think there's a quite a right. Yeah. Wide but it's range. different from an open mic in that there's a set theme every month. Yeah. That all the stories are loosely based on, and yeah. you're very smart to keep that like very wide open. Like some of the previous ones have been home and what that means to different people, crossing the line. Uh, what are some other ones? Chance. Chance, well, yeah. Pride, Chance you guys just did Pride. Yeah, so we did Proud was the most recent one, which was able For to... Pride Month. Yeah, which was um, tied into Pride Month, which was... I mean, this past one, which you saw, Beryl, was for sure one of the coolest nights like of my life. Like, <laughs> I, I was really... I'm still kind of trying to unpack what happened on yeah, Thursday. Yeah, say that every month. It's great. No. You're like so nervous and then it's like, oh my god, everyone loved it. Mm -hmm. I'm so No, well. it's not even that. I just think that this one particularly, it was really interesting yeah. to organize. I learned a lot in the process leading up to it because I wanted to, I wanted to really acknowledge and kind of highlight pride, but also recognize that it, that, you know, it was kind of territory that I wasn't. Mm -hmm. In the sh within Shanghai, like super familiar with, yeah. And so I've met a lot of new people and heard a lot of interesting stories in the process. Yeah, I mean, I think what's what's smart about Unravel is that it's kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's kind of like infinitely um, extendable. Yeah. Right. Like you can open it to many different avenues. It won't get stale. It's like very flexible mm -hmm. in terms of timing, venue, like, all of these things that makes it, I mean, able to grow and expand. Yeah. Um, and I, it's, it's like, in the vein of an open mic where you have people who are amateurs who aren't necessarily, um, you know, pro, uh, like, uh, speakers, right? Yeah. But at the same time, like, you curate each lineup very carefully and you vet all those stories. And yeah. so, so, yeah, so, I mean... For both the speakers and for the audience, there's this trust there that, like, these are going to be, it's still going to be a great experience. Yeah. You're going to hear some really interesting stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, like, how you're saying, it's in the vein of an open mic, but it's curated, definitely helps because I think a lot of times with something like an open mic, you eventually run into the problem where everyone in the audience is just people who also want to perform, and you're mm -hmm. just kind of performing to the performers. Absolutely. But it's, it seems like the Unravel events have been drawing crowds that are really people who want to come hear stories and it's yeah what was it one of the storytellers on thursday wasn't it you who told me that someone came up to me and said that one of the coolest things they heard that night was one of the storytellers 
telling this amazing story about an ex-boyfriend of hers and how he was like the kind of person who really listened and you could tell they were listening without any objective or like yeah. not, not just waiting to have their turn to talk mm-hmm. and I was sort of looking out in the audience and being like well that's kind of like what yeah. this feels like no one here is sitting there listening and being like okay, okay, okay. when's my turn when's my turn yeah. it's like people are there I really do think the audience is getting as much out of it if mm-hmm. not more than the storytellers mm-hmm. I hope I mean yeah, um, my my friend Hunting uh, oh, was man, one of the speakers. Was so good. Oh my gosh, he was so nervous, and then he owned the audience. He had them he eating was out of the palm of his hand. Incredible, and he was. I mean, he he really felt like you know. Uh, I think partially because it's like you know geared towards LGBT community that he had to impress people, or that it was like kind of a click, and he mm-hmm. was coming into it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I said, really, I mean what I've experienced from every Unravel is that it's an incredibly welcoming uh, like group, community, audience. They really are just here to hear yeah. to hear whatever you have to Yeah, say. I don't think there's a lot of judgment Absolutely out there. Not. I've never felt that. And also it's like the stories are so different that uh, one thing I noticed is you can't tell. It's like the ultimate read a book by his cover. I mean, the first oh, one, the very first oh one. Oh my gosh. There was the, the uh, I didn't know his name, probably remember his name, the older gentleman. Yeah. He was what, like 60s Maybe seventy. He was seventy-eight. Seventy-eight. So like everyone on the on the like the dance was fairly young, and then this guy gets up, and it was just like, uh, "What's this guy's story?" And, and he tells this ridiculous story about like meeting his now wife yeah. online at age like sixty-five, and no, no like seventy. Seventy. He told, he told her, her that he was, she was sixty, and then he's like. Actually, I'm seventy. So he meets his wife online at seventy, and like blind moves to China. Be with her. Just this absurd story. And everyone was Aaron, like, Aaron. Everyone was is just in shock yes. and awe. Like, <laughs> I mean, and that's that was a perfect example. And I honestly learned my first huge lesson in the organizing of mm-hmm. that event with Aaron because he was a person who had contacted me randomly on. I had I've set up like a. UnravelShanghai at gmail.com yeah. if you want to pitch a story. And um, he had contacted me completely randomly. The first one, as Beryl was a storyteller, an incredible storyteller, the closer, I must add. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and everyone else in that lineup, I think I knew personally and had spoken to directly about participating because it was the first one. Yeah. But Aaron wrote me randomly, and his emails were, I must admit, like, I was like, who is, who is this person? They were pretty out there. Yeah. They were very poetic, and they're <laughs> wacky, and they're linking to his e-books, and he was a theologian, and a poet, and you a professor, and a before. potter, and I'd never met him. And this first question was if he could tell a story with his lover. Um, and I you know, had written back and said, okay, I'm sorry, that's not really the format, but if you want to tell a story alone, come back to me and let me know your idea. Yeah. And it, it got to a point, and then he wasn't able to meet me in person, and everyone else I spoke to in person before the first event. And I got to a point, like, a couple days before where I think I was talking to my boyfriend and being like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to, like, do I say no to this person because I can't, at the, you know, at the risk of it having some negative impact Mm -hmm. on on this first event? Or do I just say yes and let it happen, roll the dice? Didn't he send you something like, I'm very experienced, I teach classes, (laughs) you don't need to worry about me. Yeah, it was, it was like, trust me. It was like, bitch, trust me. Love it. Um, and, and he was right, and I remember him walking in that night, and I immediately recognized him when he walked in, mostly because there's not a lot of 78-year-olds, yeah. like, entering district, to be honest. Tall, thin, so tall, super thin. long, gray ponytail. Well, that's ponytail. Like, everyone in there was, like, 20, 30s, 
And then there's just this one table in the corner of like yeah. 60, 70 year olds. Like, what yeah. is going on over there? But he was awesome. And I, I got such an amazing energy from him from like the moment he walked yeah. in. I'm not a very like cosmic person, but I think he was definitely, he definitely taught us all a lesson. And I remember looking at people's faces when he started talking and ultimately shared his love poem to his <laughs> now wife well, it was while she was sitting. I mean, him reading their. Their correspondence. correspondence. Yeah. 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 He used this great device. I mean, it was just like, I just thought it was so genius because he would, he would read her reply. Yeah. Like he would say, (laughs) he would say, um, oh, cheeky. Ooh. And the whole audience would lose it. And then like, he would just like repeat this device of like, oh, like, (laughs) like, like a reaction to like his own. Yeah. Reacting to himself. Oh God. It was like such a like soap opera, Mm. like Jerry Springer moment. It was like spellbound. You know, everyone was like jaw open watching him. And then he recited that poem at the end. No one saw it coming. Like no one knew what to expect. Say one of the lines in his poem was that I want to suck the marrow yeah, from your bones. Weird. <laughs> I got so. It's like yeah, it was all just very weird. It was great, but that was yeah. That's that was that's how we started, and yeah. now look, and now here we are, and uh, yeah. I want to ask, kind of put you on the spot a little bit, right. but uh, you have not performed at any of your own events. Is there a reason for that? Okay, Do you want to eventually? Um, I definitely think that I would love to. Um, I think from the beginning, and I've actually considered it, especially, I think in the first one and the second one, especially when I was almost nervous that I wouldn't have the number of storytellers I wanted, that I would kind of need to tell a story, Mm -hmm. but that hasn't happened. And I think part of it is that when I'm focused on kind of in advance, the production and like the curation of it, and then at the actual event, there is quite a bit of like the logistics Mm -hmm. and the directing of it that I'm, yeah, that, that I'm thinking about. I have thought that it would be very difficult, very difficult, mm-hmm. very difficult <laughs> for me to do those two things at once. I think yeah. I would, I think I would be bad at one of those two things. I think I would either be yeah, bad at running it or bad at telling my story because I'd be worried about the other yeah. thing. So I, I do think that at, at a certain point, especially if, you know, if this is able to kind of push forward the way that it is and I maybe have some help <laughs> at some <laughs> point, um, besides my number one helper over there. Um, yeah, I would love to, I would love to tell a story. Well, something that I've noticed, I mean, from the, from our circle of friends who, you know, have started these type of platforms, including podcasts and events, um, is often that, I mean, Sean included, like when Sean started the podcast, I said, why did you want to do this? Mm. Um, like, do you have stories that you, that you like have lined up for the bar that you always tell is that what this is based on? And he said, "No." He was like, yeah. "I don't really have. I don't know." He was like, oh, "I just really like. I kind of want to listen to." Them. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of weird because I think that I frankly love to tell stories. I love talking about myself. I think like all of my friends know that I'm not a shy person who's kind of a fr- who who doesn't take advantage of an opportunity to to tell a story. But I do think that I'm also very curious about other people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that this project, platform, whatever you want to call it, and maybe it's the same way with the podcast, is like, it kind of feeds both those halves of my, of myself, because I'm able to spend even more time really getting to 
know and hear stories from other people but then of course I'm also at the same time it's making me reflect on like a lot of my own stories and when I'm like hosting it obviously I'm telling little little bits yeah kind of in that way you insert yourself into each of the stories yeah I think and I try you know when I'm introducing people when I have the privilege of knowing them in advance or having some kind of shared context with them I like I like acknowledging that and mm-hmm. kind of telling a little short story of that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's like quite a generous quality because um, that's kind of how I got involved. So um, so I've been doing mm-hmm. uh, the flyers and posters for Unravel. Yeah, she has. <laughs> since the second one. I think the first one was... Uh, I, I, I wasn't sure what you were inviting me to do. You You invited me to be one of the speakers and I thought it was like you're asking me for a favor to like help you do design, um, and so while you're speaking, can you also do this design? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think, I mean, I think we were we were a bit too rushed for the first one, but um, but yeah. So when when I heard about the concept, I immediately knew that it was like a great chance to do illustration because the themes are quite wide open. They're open to like you know a variety of interpretations. Uh, as we as we previously talked about, you know, I I'm always looking for a creative outlet where I can like push myself to kind of make more stuff, mm-hmm. and particularly like that it's in service of you know of an event that like I that I really you know um, enjoy, and so uh, so yeah, so like it's been great working with you in particular just because you really enjoy the surprise of not just, like, the stories that are in it, but, like, what, however visually I want to interpret those things, yeah. you're like, no, nah, I trust you, like, yeah. go nuts, like, do whatever, yeah. like, you you think is cool. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's, like, I slash no one who has seen any of those posters um, can understate how important or how valuable that edition has been, because, you know, on our, you know, if you look back at the, the flyer that I put up for our first February event, not to mention, like, the way that the logo <laughs> looked, like, mm-hmm. it was, like, when Barrel started helping, like, overnight, the brand just, like, kind of came <laughs> together. I mean, to the, yeah, I, I mean, I've always thought that, that, especially in terms of those visual, like, that's something I've never been mm-hmm. able to do. Like, I consider myself a creative person, but that's, those are skills I don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, that has made such a difference for this project I think and I think those those visuals are also you know in addition to the kind of the, the theme and the prompt or the copy or whatever but yeah. that's what inspires people to come up with the stories like yeah. the I think part of it is also I mean with an event like this a little bit you can but it's very hard to like uh, explain what it is in a poster without covering it in text so yeah. it's like alright we just need good imagery and hopefully people like this no. looks interesting. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's like makes a huge, huge the difference. Best. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's true that every month when we've done it, I mean, I'm sh- I, sometimes I feel like, oh, I always feel like I'm annoying you, but um, it's like, I do love, when, when I see that you've sent me the message of like what your idea is, I get <laughs> so excited. <laughs> and each one I've loved more than the last one. I'm like, this is my favorite one yet. Everyone's oh. like, you said that about the last one. <laughs> well... Not to, uh, I guess, shamelessly plug ourselves, but uh, next month, the next Unravel will be in uh, collaboration with our group art show that will be our second. Oh, hell yeah. Top uh, five pop culture poster show. So, uh, not so much about that, but just uh, something you said that made me think of that was when you were saying, I love when Beryl does it, and even the stories, like, just to see what they'll do. Like, I trust them. 
we get to see what we'll do. And that's one of the things we, we've loved about doing this group art show is we kind of know each other's styles. Yeah. And even though, like, we don't, like, show each other everything we're going to do, so that's a bit of a surprise, we still get the surprise of the people we're doing the group show with, what For their sure. art will look like. We yeah. have no idea. Because we give, you know, very loose limitations. Basically, the concept is you do five posters based on your five biggest pop culture influences, but... So movies, music, yeah, books, movies, music, comics. literature, whatever, and but to somebody that could be anything. those five things could be anything, yeah, like literally, like very serious, very stupid, like highbrow, lowbrow, whatever. Right. So that's really interesting, and it was kind of interesting. Uh, and you can only use five colors. Yeah. So five this, posters, this five influences, five colors. Mm -hmm. And everyone's using the same five colors, so it'll be really interesting to see how they use colors because. Uh, Even with those constraints, yeah. reimagining these, you know, recognizable icons in your own style completely transforms them. And so, yeah, everybody's series of five, despite the things that they share in common, will be very, very unique. Right. Yeah. And they were last time. What, what was the last event in November? December. In December. December. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but yeah, so setting up the last one, we approached people we knew, like friends of ours. This one, we reached out to a little wider net of mm -hmm. people we don't know, just illustrators and artists here in uh, Shanghai and even a couple outside. And one of the interesting things that I wonder if you get with Unravel is we had a lot of people who are illustrators full-time, and they we would like you know shoot the idea to them, pitch it, and they would be really concerned about the like logistics and like where will my art be shown why are you doing it like what is what's behind what's it and how much money does it yeah cost it was like they, they get like such a business mode and it was like when we would tell them like oh we're doing the group show because we want to do art and it's friends doing art together yeah like it's not like a promote and like some people were like oh my god that's so cool and some people were like you could tell they just couldn't get it like yeah it's legit just us creating the brief that we wish that we yeah, were Yeah, and again, it goes back to that, like, you know, we, we are both in, like, somewhat creative fields, but it's still professional, so we want to do things that are, like, our own thing, like, yeah. not professional. So, like, when you're doing this event, do you get a lot of people, like, where's this going? What are you doing this? How are you monetizing it? Like, For does sure. it become too much of a business? And Yeah, and I mean, who knows how how this will all unfold, but I definitely think that people... I think that once you go to one of these events, or definitely if you go, if you went to the top five in December, yeah. or you come to our collab event next yeah. month, you'll realize, like, whoa, someone or someone's put a lot of time mm -hmm. and a lot of thought into the execution of this event. Yeah. So I think it is hard sometimes for people to imagine how that works. Um, but this one was an awesome idea, and I think Beryl and Logan had um, brought it up with me several months ago, how, how cool it could be if we could kind of collaborate on an event that would be both a showcase of Unravel mm -hmm. and then showcase, launching these, the posters for the, yeah. for the art show. I mean, I think even though they're posters of, you know, um, like existing characters from pop culture, like it still is very much a reflection of that artist. For sure. Because you see that influence in, like, the work that they're creating. You know yeah. what I mean? And so, like, kind of that aspect of self-reflection, I thought, was something that connected directly to Absolutely. what Unravel does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, as you're saying, these top five pop culture influences are no doubt a product of, you know, your childhood and how you were socialized and how you were raised. And so, for this one, we decided to do the theme for Unravel as 
<laughs> when I grow up, because you're really trying to stick with this kind of nostalgic um, theme of self-reflection and memory. And I think that those combined, I think it's going to be a really, really yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Super fun night. The other thing, uh, sorry, but one thing I love about uh, with the stories and with this poster show is like, uh, everything is so subjective. Yeah. So like, a thing again, that's nice with the, sh- the, the storytelling is, even if someone tells a story super well or whatever, it might not be somebody else's favorite story. They might have loved the guy who like, can barely talk just because yeah. of content and that was something we ran into on the first poster show. All our posters are for sale. We, you know, print to order because they're all digital. And, you know, coming up with only five things can be very difficult. Like, even if it's your top five movies, like, narrowing it down to five. And sometimes we would pick something and be like, okay, well, I think more people know this. Mm-hmm. So let's make a poster of that. And then I'll do this other one that's more, my, more personal. Like, I did a Fifth Element one, which is one of my favorite movies. And I didn't think there was that many Fifth Element fans out there. And that was my highest selling poster. And I was like, really? Yeah. Like, that was the one that everyone loved. It was like, all right. So you find out, like, everyone's got their... But the other thing was, I mean, almost every poster had... Not every poster, but a lot of them, like, had sales. Like, even if it was just one. Kind of more obscure. Out of of 25 of these things, like, somebody loved this one. Like, it's so, you know, interesting to see that. Like, Yeah. And I think that... Oh, yeah. No, I do think that ties to Unravel as well, because I think it's a similar, as you say, it's a similar experience where, yeah, everyone in the audience, I think, has a different favorite story. Yeah. Clara, what's your top five? Oh, God. Yeah, of anything. (laughs) God, couldn't you have given me a moment to think of that? Um, (laughs) That might be super hard. Yeah, put you on the spot. The ones that, like, changed your... Like uh, the, the the first one that's at the forefront of my mind because we were talking about is like Harrison Ford. Oh yeah. Duh. So I don't know if Beryl knows it, but I have heard it. But I would love for you to tell your Harrison Ford story. Such an embarrassing story. Why? You will find out. Okay. <laughs> um, the the the. I mean, who doesn't love Harrison Ford? Who doesn't have a Harrison Ford story in their life? Really? No, not everyone. No. Um, I don't think many people. Yeah, this Harrison Ford story is getting a little bit of play, you know, uh, my second podcast yeah, now, now that talking you're an about it. Star. <laughs> um, and I, I hope that the more, that if I tell it enough times, Harrison will hear it. <laughs> and I'll get the chance I lost when I was a child. Yeah. So if but anyone yeah. knows Harrison Ford. So if anyone knows Harrison Ford out. out there, please do Harrison get Ford, in touch. Harrison, if you're listening. Harrison, if you're listening, I'd love Richard to have you on. Richard, Unravel Shanghai. At <laughs> 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 um, Yeah, no, the basic story of my fleeting interaction with Harrison mm-hmm. Ford was when I was like maybe eight in Miami in South Beach on vacation with my family and went into a hotel on South Beach with my dad probably because I had to go to the bathroom or something mm-hmm. and I was really really genuinely a big fan of Harrison Ford at that time I don't even know why because I don't remember being a huge fan of Star Wars or like Indiana Jones yeah. either franchise but I was a huge <laughs> fan of Harrison Ford um, and yeah, I was just in this hotel lobby, and my dad suddenly just grabbed my shoulder and sort of directed me to look <laughs> at what became clear was fucking Harrison Ford standing at the, <laughs> at the I don't know, at the kind of counter yeah. talking to somebody. And I just, you know, froze. And my dad was like, stay here. I'm going to go ask the 
concierge for like a pen and a paper and you're gonna go over and you're gonna ask for his autograph and he you know he left me there like shaking <laughs> came back paper and pen and I just stood there I look at Harrison Ford and I just like start crying and I was just basically lost it and was frozen <laughs> frozen in place and that and that happened for so long that eventually Harrison Ford turned back around from wherever, you know, the person he was talking to definitely saw this little girl crying in the middle of the lobby. I don't know. I mean, in his defense, I think it would have been a weird stretch for him to imagine that he, I was crying because of him. Yeah. But he, what, we, we, we met eyes, and I think he, you know, there was this, like, confusion of what, what to do. Yeah. Um, and eventually our eyes broke. I was still frozen there. I couldn't move. And he just started with his entourage walking out of the hotel <laughs> and getting into a car. And my dad's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know, go out there, Jason. And I didn't. <laughs> and I remember like going to bed that night, you know, so devastated, <laughs> so embarrassed. I remember I was in my aunt Cindy's house, you know, in, in Miami, just like going to sleep and thinking like, you know, that was super embarrassing, but... This happened so quickly after I, like, fell in love with Harrison Ford. Surely, it will happen again. You know, I'll get the chance again. And I'll do it better next time. The one that got away. (laughs) The one that got away. (laughs) But you did mention, you did mention before off-air, Big Buffy fan. Big Buffy fan. Actually, really recently, one of my friends um, has been telling me that the one, the the person character that I, like, really remind her Mm -hmm. of is Drusilla from... Buffy? Did you guys ever watch Buffy? I never watched it. I've never seen an episode of Buffy. It's one of those things that's like, I kind of wish I did, because there's so much reference, but it's also like, not good enough for me to get into now. now. To go back in time, like you're not like a teenage girl You had to have done it at the time. I remember my older sister just loved Buffy, and even though some of it I remember kind of scared me, I still would watch it, (laughs) just to be like, cool. (laughs) I was more into like, Seventh Heaven, and like other kind of like, (laughs) family-driven... Dramas. A lot of ABC. A lot yeah, of ABC. a lot of ABC. I've always know, been a big fan of ABC. I didn't know a ton about it, but I, I just remember like it being on forever. Like, oh my it was god, it went on, on forever. Yeah. And then it's like the classic thing of like, there's only so many characters that can be love interest. And it's like, oh my god, here comes Angel, and then oh no, it's Spike. Other guy now. Like, <laughs> wait, now Angel's back. I was like, Angel's the dumbest name. Well, for yeah, and you have a lot of you have a lot of room for like reinvention when everyone can die and then come back to life. Like, oh, there's no, there's God, no you know, how many seasons was there's no finishing of anyone. Um, I don't, I have no idea. Maybe like nine or yeah, it was something. quite long. Right? Yeah, definitely. Seems like a very uh, the Family Matters. Did you watch Family Matters growing up? No. When they turned Urkel into uh, Stefan. Stefan. <gasps> So, like, Urkel is, like, the famous yeah, yeah, character, yeah. and, like, in one of the later seasons, he creates a, like, cool machine, cool machine literally, where, like, he walks in as Urkel and walks I, I out as, like, Stefan. It was, like, clearly... To win, what's her face's love? Laura, who's, like, the, like, daughter that he is, like, famously in love with through yeah. the whole show, and, like, then they love him only as Stefan. It's like, oh, you love me as Stefan, blah, 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 but it was, like... Some lessons there. I don't know, I was, like, I always picture that as, um, Malcolm... Uh, Malcolm Jamal Warner? No, that was the brother. Who was the guy who played Urkel? Oh, oh um, God, what is his name? Yeah. But uh, but I just picture that him just being like the show was on so long that he was just like, hey, I, I don't want to be fucking this Urkel anymore. anymore. Yeah. Like, give me a chance. Those were the best episodes, though. <laughs> but it was just like such I feel like a. I should go rewatch. Like, you went from like Jaleel White. Jaleel White, yeah. It's like you just went from like such a like family sitcom in Chicago, like black family, to this like. 
ridiculous, like, Urkel became the show. Like, he used to be just a side character, and now it's, like, beyond ridiculous. But so funny. It's my favorite just episode. Need to but I'm sure when you're in a world like Buffy, at least you have the ability to, like, do those stretches, because it's like, yeah, vampires. Oh, yeah, I remember there, <laughs> there was, like, the, the, literally there was a musical episode of Buffy. Yes! It just, whoever, Josh Whedon or whoever, wasn't it? Josh yeah. Yeah, he did the um, Buffy. Like, wanted to, mm-hmm. he'd been at it for so long, he wanted to just create a... Just do a weird one? Yeah. Um, was Buffy the one that had, like, a weird... They had a... Do you remember they had an episode, like, a finale they had to cancel because of Columbine? Do you remember that? I do remember there that. Was like, it I was, like, a season finale. I remember seeing that. And Maybe it, I think it was, was Buffy, and it was, like, they canceled it because, because of Columbine. Some... And it was, like, oh, is it, like, a school shooting? It was, like, no, Angel turns into a dragon and, like, kills people or something. But it was, like, I guess in a school. But it was, like, something, uh, like... Well, that's very, what, they were just 10 like, years ago? I mean, they what, were can just you like, imagine not now? risking anything. Yeah. It's, like... Violence in a school by dragons? No, too close to home. Like too soon. Yeah. yeah. Well, Versus like Basketball Diaries. Did you ever see that movie? It was like an yeah. old uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, which has a dream sequence where he goes into a school and like open fires, and that was like right around that time. So I was like, yes, that you could be like, we're boycotting oh this, gosh, but like yeah. dragon. I think you went a little. little oh, um, America! Name drop. My high school gym Angel. teacher was the referee in Basketball Diaries. Hey. Well, no place, big deal. It takes place on, like, the upper, like, west side. I think mean, they jump off the rocks. Like, I guess that's, like, way uptown. Mm-hmm. Wow. Anyway. What's um, another one of your top five, Clara? What did I say? The um, Franco. Oh, yeah. That, that's kind of a really obscure or, like, weird top five, I think. But for some reason... Is it? I don't know. I'm not sure. I feel like she was, like, huge. I wonder what she, she definitely was huge. But I feel like at the time that I was so into her, which was, like, from age 12 to age 18 or whatever, it was... I still felt like she was, like, pretty underground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I convinced like myself. Were like, an alternative. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Crowd. We were so into Annie DeFranco. I saw her, like, several times when I was a teenager because I was just I in love with her. What was her songs? Oh, God. Her songs were definitely not, like... She didn't have any, like, singable. <laughs> she didn't have any big hits. Yeah. She had... But I remember just being so obsessed with, like, her lyrics. You know, those yeah. are the... Like, Annie DeFranco lyrics must have been, like, my most frequently posted away messages <laughs> on, <laughs> on AOL Fantastic. Instant Messenger. Oh like, God. yeah, well, what do you think about this? Yeah. <laughs> she expresses my emotions like, in a way I can't. Yeah. It's like kind of like a very, like, artsy, dark Alanis Morissette. Yeah. And she was a lesbian, and I always, like, I remember as a teenager thinking that was really sure cool. I'd heard this song, just have no idea who it was. Probably. Like. Yeah. <laughs> but she's very lyric, like, super poetic and yeah. quite dark and a very strong feminist. And, like, yeah, she's pretty, she's pretty dope, for sure. I need to check up what she's, <laughs> check in on what, what she she's up to these too. days. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really quick story. I, like, I, I never, I mean... I never considered myself like a star fucker. Like I didn't think that like I gave a shit. Would hope, would hope not. No, I mean you know like some people like lose their mind when they meet Real Housewives. Oh yeah, yeah. Mean, in a metaphorical sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A metaphorical star fucker, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when when I was in high school, um, me and my friend followed this Norwegian singer songwriter who was like very. I mean, he was like kind of just like hitting the U.S. market and. They were trying to make him a thing, but it was, like, very niche. Who very, was it? very niche. Sanja Lerke. 
I was course, not that no cool. one would know. Yeah. I mean, like, he ended up doing, like, a the full soundtrack for, like, a Steve Carell movie. He had, like, you know, moderate success, put out, like, several albums. Um, and uh, we were just, like, enamored of him. And this was, like, right when he was coming over, so he was, like, very clearly ESL and, like, had these, like, weird lyrics that were, like, like pretzels for tears because they're like salty because their colors like stuff like that and we were just like obsessed obsessed with this guy and so so yeah so like he wasn't like huge you could go to these like tiny um like radio recordings where he would be like in the studio performing and get close to him yeah and like sit i mean as far away as you are now um and then at one of these like tiny shows um like uh there was like a meet and greet and we got to take a photo and like I, I was like, at this point, I was still like, oh my god, we're gonna meet him. He's gonna fall in love with us, and like, we're gonna be like together forever. I mean, I, I was like, there's something that I could say that like would change this forever, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, got to take the photo, put his arm around me, like full shakes, like lost control of my body. Mm-hmm. I think, John about yeah, it. maybe that's not surprising. I think it's quite overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, that, that's, like, that's totally like, unexpected. always surprised me, like, I always working back in New York, like, I used to work at this bakery, and it was, like, in Soho, and it would be, like, I see celebrities all the time, I don't care, but then, like, they come in, and just, like, <laughs> like, it's <an> uncontrollable, <laughs> like, it's just, like, you don't even talk to them, it's just, like, it's just so handing weird. them their coffee, like, it's so weird, oh because they're, they're literally people, yeah, yeah and they're not even talking to you, yeah. just seeing them, like, like you're just like oh yeah. my god don't break it don't break I mean it's scary to like I mean for me it's kind of it's weird that I know something about them and they don't they know don't know anything about me. <laughs> so it's like Nor do they really like, want to we're already friends in my head yeah you don't know that I spent a really weird summer um, when I came like one of my summers in college interning for Victoria's Secret oh. in New York <laughs> the corporate office <laughs> and. Um, I, that summer, like, it was a crazy summer. I think I had just studied, I had studied abroad in Spain the semester before, and I had crazy reverse culture. Like, I, I hated being back in America. Like, I loved (laughs) Spain so much, and I was just, like, depressed and really emo that summer. And I, you know, commuted into the city and was working, interning for Victoria's Secret, and ended up having these two really weird experiences. One, like, in, like, Long Island, and one I flew to L.A. for, like, with two of the Victoria's Secret angels like one time I just woke, woke myself up and I, I was, was the other one and I was like <laughs> eating at an Outback Steakhouse in Long Island across from Adriana Lima and it was just like super weird because she was like a supermodel Outback and Steakhouse your chili they have like a budget for hey, I, I think she wanted Outback it. Steakhouse I think that's what is she wanted. Zagat rated and yes, often the number one steak in New York <laughs> I would think no yeah but I mean and she was really lovely. Does this blooming onion have carbs? <laughs> yeah, how many calories? But um, she was super. I remember her being so lovely, and I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" Because she's incredibly famous and super wealthy, and like, I'm sitting across from her. We're eating wings. And, like, it's pretty chill. I mean, granted, she wasn't like asking me about my yeah. hopes and dreams or anything, but I no one was that, when that's I was crazy. Interning. That didn't even make the list. That didn't even make the yeah. list. That didn't even. Start. Yeah, that's I not. was picturing that. That's why, like so many celebrities are good friends is like not that they're equally weird it's that they're all normal but people can't act normal around them I know so and like, I'm sure it's that's so why they hang out with other relate. celebrities because yeah, you sure. can act like a fuck I mean I had a friend in New York for a year or two 
the crowd he was running with were these kids from Ojai, California, which is very, like, hot. You know, it's a weird, like, rich, hippie California. Yeah. Anyway, so, like, through people they knew in New York, they were running in these, like, you know, cool circles for a while. Like, very after-after party type stuff. Yeah. But, so they were, like, at this club. They would go to the clubs because, like, they didn't go to the... They went to the club because, like, they knew the door people or they knew, like... They didn't belong at the club, basically. Right, Like, yeah. my friend has told me stories of, like, people getting rejected for dress code and then him watching in, like, sleeveless t-shirts and right. then just being like, what the fuck? Like, look at that kid. It's yeah, like, yeah. Man. But anyway, he met um, Axel Rose. <laughs> yeah. Axel Rose from Guns N' Roses at, like, a club and they were, like, talking and he's like, oh, you're in a band? And, like, just wanted to talk to him about, like, being in a band and yeah. music. And he was saying, like, first the DJ, like, found out he was there so took off, like, hip-hop or whatever playing and started playing Guns N' Roses. And Axl Rose, like, had an assistant and was like, tell him to turn that Can you fuck stop? off. Yeah. yeah, like, corny. And then he's like, and then he's like, and then the weird part was, he was, like, maybe 22 at the time, and he's just like, so he's just talking to me, and these, like, tens, like, these girls are just, like, all over him, like, trying to, like, crawl on him. And he's, like, literally, like, they're like, hey, Axl Rose, he's like, yeah, don't talk to me. I'm talking to this kid about yeah. music. Like, basically just ignoring, like, models. <laughs> he's like, to talk to me about, like, my local band touring. And he's just like, that's how much, like, he just wants to, like, be cool and, like, talk just to music with me. Like, yeah. just fending off girls that are, like... <laughs> God, I really do feel bad for celebrities. And again, it's like, he's met other quote-unquote rock stars and stuff, and he's just like, I think we bond just because I usually talk to them like people, yeah. and, like, I'm not, I don't give a fuck who they are, and, like... That's pretty funny. Yeah. I do think that's true. And I hope that if I ever, you know, get the when chance become, to meet... When you unravel becomes Ooh, I, totally. Yeah. When Harrison Ford... When Harrison Ford unravel. calls me, um, I will know what to say, you yeah. know? Because, yeah. He'll there. see you freeze, cry. Yeah. And you'll, I just, wanna, you'll my, just walk away. My new away. goal in life has become to make Harrison Ford cry. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, Harrison. I would never do that to you. <laughs> Do you uh, even have, like, a favorite Harrison Ford movie? Oh, which sorry, I don't know. Like, no, I'm really harping on When you were saying, like, I wasn't even a Star Wars fan, or even yeah. Indiana Jones, I was like, a uh, big 40 Days, 40 Nights fan, where yeah, you yeah. like, that plane crash. Oh, Do you remember that I movie? was also, oh. I remember being really into Air Force Ashton One. Which Air is Force One, the great Which is weird, because I also am, like, super scared of planes and stuff, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I can't explain it. I can't explain it. Wow. I, just, yeah. I just loved him. <laughs> loved him. He's, like, older than my dad, but I loved him, and the kind of, like, big crush kind of way. Yeah. Is he older than my dad? I'm not sure. But uh, He's gotta be in his 60s. He still looks good, though. He does. He sure do. Mm. Um, I guess so let's jump into some of these stories he sent us. Uh, God. You told us he had a story about a gypsy pony. Oh, God. I don't know what that means, so I want to find out. That's a pretty, um, one of the sort of, I guess, more, yeah, formative, memorable moments of my... <laughs> Of my life, we were um, we were vacationing, <laughs> vacationing in the south of France. No, I'm serious. We were <laughs> sorry, but my is that, aunt is that a joke? No, that's no, no, no. Like my aunt and uncle like lived there, and um, oh, the south of France, of course, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, anyways, we were at their house, you know, for this two weeks of, and a lot of weird stuff was happening at this time. Um, my my dad was seeing the woman who was then going to become my step... Like, there was a lot of kind of crazy family dynamics mm. happening during this trip. And um, we were staying in these, like, kind of cottages on the, the property of my aunt's mother. And um, the last... One of the last nights that we were in this small town, my aunt and uncle wanted to go out to 
dinner, like go on a date, and my dad had offered to watch us kids and the um, my cousins, mm-hmm. the, my aunt and uncle's kids. And there was a there had been like a sign up that there was like a gypsy circus in the in the <laughs> village, you know, because again, France. Um, and so we decided that that was like the perfect activity for my dad to take five kids to, you know, and yeah. I think the youngest, my, my younger brother must have been five at the time. Mm-hmm. I was probably seven. And then my cousins are kind of the same age. My sister is two years old than me. And we go to this, you know, field where the gypsy circus had popped up <laughs> <laughs> the original pop up, the gypsy circus. And, um, they, you know, the circus hadn't started yet. Before the circus, you could go behind the tents. They had, like, all the animals kind of tethered and in cages, and you could go yeah. see them before the show started. And so, of course, we went back there, and, you know, you, like, walk back, and there's, like, a tiger in a cage and blah, blah, blah. And we start kind of, like, walking into it, and there's this really unassuming little pony tethered. Not in a cage, obviously, because it's a yeah. freaking pony. <laughs> um, just tethered to the ground. And my dad kind of, we all walk through to go check out the, lo- the lion and the tiger. I don't think there's a lion, but there's definitely a tiger. <laughs> and um, we all pass by in a line, like past this pony. And my little brother, as he walks by this pony, the pony fucking freaks, lunges at my brother, picks him up. But I don't even, I mean, I used to ride horses. Like, I know that horses don't have like teeth, right? They, they got big teeth. But yeah, but they have like a different, you know, their mouth is yeah. like, when I tell that story, some people are like, horse couldn't pick up a person. But I'm like, oh, hell no, you did not see this yeah. horse pick up this person. My brother was a very small person. That's what you think. He but. looked like a carrot and um, <laughs> literally, and he picked up my brother. Everything happened super fast. How he big li- is this pony? I mean, a small horse, like yeah. not a, min- it was definitely not a miniature pony okay. or anything. It was like a, a small horse and has him elevated off the ground to the point because he whacked him into, um, the tiger cage. Um, I don't know if it was an actual tiger cage or what, but my brother ended up with a huge gash that I think he needed stitches on it on his head bleeding because he was hit up against a cage by the horse. So that's proof that the horse elevated him. Okay. Okay. Wait, wait, is this skinny horse? No, I think it was like a pretty strong, obviously a strong horse. Was it like a, I think it's was a it horse. Like, horse? Was it like horse. stocky? Like I, I can't. Okay, I'm just trying to okay. figure out like the scale of like the pony. That doesn't matter. Person. One of the things I've I'll developed in my adulthood afterwards. is a fear of horses. Like I rarely ever around them, but it's just like these things are so powerful and big. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> like I love them because they're dime, majestic and they're beautiful and they're so sleek. I, but whenever this people, gypsy like, pony was not. I would never walk behind a horse. Oh ever. God, you can't. Like, you can't. Yeah, get kicked. People in can. People like are so comfortable around them. It's like. Fuck no! That yeah. horse can bite you. It can kick you. Well, like, I don't oh think that God. this um, incident really helped like my comfort level around yeah. horses. It ended with my dad. You know, a lot of things happened at the same time. Uh, my sister and I have a memory of like a French man who was you know right in the vicinity, like literally picking up his daughter and tossing her over the fence right there, being like, like a bleu, you know, like yeah. kind of like what the fuck. And my dad ended up punching the pony in the face. Oh my god! I literally was going to jokingly say, "Did he go over and punch the horse?" Yeah, no, it wasn't like it wasn't like he dropped my brother and then my dad punched him. It was like yeah. my dad punched him to release my brother. Parental, you know. And Wait, so he swung him, and he is still airborne. And while he, like this all in probably happened in about you know eighteen seconds yeah. or whatever. Just a but it felt like time slowed down, and my brother's on the ground, you know. I was a very calm, serious, wonderful man. 
Um, so I imagine actually, definitely, I was probably freaking out more than he was, the yeah. injured person. But yeah, then we had to like... He probably doesn't even know what happened. Figure out what, the, like, what to do. Yeah, we were in South France. Like, I don't think any... My dad definitely doesn't speak French. Like, we were mm-hmm. we were definitely in a pretty crazy situation. I don't think Gypsy Circus is going to take much. Um, <laughs> yeah, they had like an insurance plan. No, the, so the, the funny thing... Yeah, so we end up, of course, having... You know, getting us all back into some vehicle, going and interrupting... I think, you know, that's pre-cell phone era. Like, yeah. we end up interrupting my aunt and uncle at the restaurant they're at. Have to go to this, like, 24-hour clinic... We ended up having to cut our trip short to get my brother up to Paris to get rabies shots. Oh but the next day when we woke up, of course, we went back to the, the field to the go, like, are. have a chat with those gypsies. They were not there. <laughs> the gypsies, they're gone. <laughs> they were gone. I don't even know if they had... I'm sure they had the show, but... Um, I'm sure it, we missed they the have show. A, a rule that if a, one of the animals bites children, they are gone within six like, hours. Yeah. Did, pony, did Gypsy Pony pick up another kid? They're like, code, we gotta go. Code three, wrap code it up. <laughs> So yeah, that was a that was a a memory I'll never forget. <laughs> My poor brother can't forget it either. Yeah, terrifying. Does he ever talk about it? Does he? Like... Can he even go around horses anymore? Yeah, he's like he's he's the most chill human in the universe. I'm sure he's definitely ridden horses since oh he's recovered fully. The, the impact. I think I was again more more scarred. Um, than anyone else. He doesn't even remember what happened. He's just like, I was just walking. Next thing I know, I'm thrown into a cage. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so, speaking about going to... Which one? <laughs> Winton Bud. Oh, Boynton Bud. <laughs> I don't know what that Sounds is. Sounds like a rolled doll character. Yeah. Boynton Bud. This was... um. That's a good one. That's a good one. He's a good one. He's a good man. <laughs> okay. You're not born, but basically, I have forced upon my Australian boyfriend mm-hmm. to travel to the U.S. with me a couple times before I ever like was willing—not willing, but like before we ever made it to Australia. So he's had the—he's um, had the privilege of seeing some of us going through some pretty weird stuff yeah. on these trips in America. Um, but this one was. This took the took the cake. When yeah. we, we we basically we were flying down to Miami to visit my sister who lives there, and we flew into I think Fort Lauderdale. And I the first night we were gonna drive up to to Palm Beach where my boyfriend's grandfather mm-hmm. actually lives with his with his wife, and he's very old. And my boyfriend had not seen him in you know years and years. So it's yeah. like a really big deal that we included this section on our trip before we went down to Miami. So we get to the airport, we head to the car rental place that we booked yeah. to, um, to pick up a car, and, like, everything started going wrong really quickly. Like, the, you know, of course we're in a car rental place in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. No offense, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, but, like, it was chaos. Like, you know, the line was, I think we waited for, like, over an hour yeah. to even get help from someone. By the time we finally get up there, you know, even though I prepaid for the car... Because neither of us had an American credit card, they wouldn't. Exactly. They wouldn't. They wouldn't let us take. You had to have like a deposit. You know, yeah. an American credit card to put a deposit on. He had an Australian one. I mean, it was like a mess. We ended up having to, you know, get a taxi to a Bank of America for me to like switch. You know, it was like all this chaos. <laughs> Finally, after maybe two hours of, of of nonsense, we we get in this car. Like, okay, like let's just like let that go. This trip's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Get in the car, I think it was like maybe two hours between Fort Lauderdale and West Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. 
and you know maybe halfway there and, and we were trying to meet his grandfather by like uh, there, I think there's a 5pm dinner reservation right because yeah. they're like 80 <laughs> and we about halfway there and I think I wanted to get off the highway to go to the bathroom and so we get off in I believe Boynton um, Florida <laughs> name check like, yeah yeah that's, that was Nelson's recollection. So um, we get off the highway, go, you know, to experience the mysteries of, like, Panera Bread or some American, <laughs> you know, fast food chain that Nelson had never seen before. And we are turning back from off the highway to go back onto the highway ramp to finish, like, our last leg of our trip. And I was driving, and suddenly it was like, I've never had a, a suddenly flat tire, but it was like our ty- the tire yeah. rim was skidding on, on the ground. Oh. And... My boyfriend was like, you know, pull over, pull over, pull over, because we were literally approaching the, the highway the turn, ramp yeah. to get onto the highway. And basically, I would say a mile, which, you know, in southern Florida, you know, here you can't imagine a mile with no building yeah. or, or people or store or anything. But there, it was literally a mile between yeah. the highway entrance ramp and the next mm-hmm. gas station store yeah. person, if, you know, or more than that. And we, like, kind of skid to the side of the road... And there was this kind of, there was some, like, small, like, shanty houses. And we skid to the side of the road, and we're like, shit. And we get out of the car, and the tire is completely flat, like, just, like un- explode? undrivable. Like, we, we don't know. We still are not sure what, what <laughs> happened, whether those, that car rental place played, like, a mean <laughs> joke on us or whatever. Um, we had no cell phones, because we had just got to America. And mm-hmm. We had no way to call anyone. Felt like 1995. There was no spare tire in the trunk, even though there was supposed to be. There was nothing that we could do. We start like, okay, what can we do? One of us can walk the literal mile and a half in like 95 degree heat back to civilization. Or like, what what, what else is our alternative here? And you know, Nelson looks to the side of the road and there's this like kind of shanty home. And I mean, it looked like... (laughs) Every horror movie ever. Every horror movie ever. It. I don't mean to be mean, but it looked like, like a meth lab, (laughs) and we were like, "What do we do here?" And there was literally the entire time from so the house was you could see nothing, you could see no one, but there was like an old person in like kind of like a wheelchair or a rocking chair. We disagree on what it was. (laughs) Like on the front porch, kind of looked like half alive. Yeah. Um, and we're like, fuck, what do we do? Let's, let's, I guess we have no choice. Yeah. And my boy was like pretty big, so I was like, you know, <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? But we end up kind of... He can shoot you. Walk- <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. in America! It's Florida, a lot can happen. <laughs> like, that's so much can happen. So we end up starting to walk towards the house. We're kind of saying, hello, like, is anyone there? Is anyone there? And this guy comes out of the house. And, again, if there could have been... You know, a stereotype of a shanty house on, like, the way to an exit ramp off the highway in southern Florida. It was like this guy just had this, like, big, long, gray ponytail, no shirt. His pants were so low down, like, you could see the, his groin. Like, it was like, we were like, holy fucking shit. This is, this is going to be bad. And we were like, hi, um, I, you know, we are stuck. Like, we, we, our tire is flat. Do you have, like... Any way you could help us? Do you have a phone? Do you have da da da? And he kind of maybe took like three full minutes to look at us. And like, <laughs> we're wondering like what he's gonna do. And finally, he's like, "You can use my phone." So we're like, 
okay, you know, like waiting for him to be like, it's in the basement. The girl goes alone or something, you know? Like, and, but to, to our surprise, he pulls out like his phone, his cell phone and he hands it to us and it was like in brand new iPhone success yeah. at the time. I was like, it looks good. Okay, twist. Yeah, twist. Twist, he's got an iPhone 6. Um, and he gave us a phone and we were able to call the car rental place. Mm-hmm. They really gave zero shits yeah. and were like, oh, yeah, we can send someone there in about, like, three hours. We're like, what would we do? Sit on the side of the yeah. road in the sweltering heat without, like, anything for three hours. You know, it's, like, impossible. So we're really sitting there like, crap, what the hell? And at this whole time, this man is kind of, like, walking around the car, like, looking around, like, seeing whatever. And he finally, after we get off his phone, and we sort of hand him his phone back, and we're like, oh, you know, honestly, we're not sure what to do. And he's like, basically said that he had a compress, an air compressor yeah. or something, like, again, in his basement. <laughs> and, like, let let him go check and see if he had something for us and we're like okay he's either going to get an air compressor or like his shotgun or whatever like (laughs) at this point we're in this he comes back with an actual compressor like the exact tool that I mean I don't know anything about vehicles or whatever he came up with the exact tool that we needed to like get air back into the tire but for whatever reason on this car this tire it was kind of like it was a very temporary fix right it wasn't like it didn't like plug us up so we could get back on the highway and he was like I've got a buddy like downtown and can fix this for you and we're like what and he's like and we're like what, what are you proposing and he's like we fill this up you know she drives the car like you guys follow me yeah. and we and I take you to my take you to my buddy downtown and we're like you know what can we do this whole time like other weird things are happening in the house like some young man presumably his son like came home with what we like swore was like a prostitute like <laughs> just like weird crazy stuff is happening and we're like what's going on finally he convinces us we we kind of get the tire, a little bit of air in the tire, he goes, tells me to get in, in our rental car, tells Nelson to get in his pickup truck with him, and for me to kind of really carefully, slowly try yeah. to follow them. And, you know, I remember, like, getting in the car, trying to turn this thing around, looking forward to, like, the figure of, like, my boyfriend next to, like, this <laughs> really, this guy who, you know, had said, you know, ten words total to us, yeah. and we were super freaked out. He led us through this, like, maze of roads. Like, we were not... We had just seen this huge shopping mill area. He's taking us, like, off-road, <laughs> right? We're like, where, where is this going? Yeah. Finally stops at, like, a mechanic, a proper mechanic. We go inside. The guys are like, oh, yeah, sure. We will, we'll help you. He, like, you know, negotiates a price for us, whatever it was. It was, like, super reasonable. He comes back to us, and he's just like, you know, I guess you guys are... I guess you guys are all set. And we were like, what, like... Can, can we give you money? Do you want money? Like, what, what, what's, the, what's yeah. the catch here? Whatever. And he's like, I don't want your money. <laughs> and we're like, oh, my God. Like, thank you so much for all your help. Like, this, was, this was amazing. You know, we, we literally don't know what he would have done. He's like, you know, anytime. And we were like, what, 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 we didn't even get your name. Like, what's your name? And he was just like, I'm Bud. <laughs> <laughs> and, this, and it all, it was all, yeah. it was all good. Thanks, Bud. It was like, thank you, Bud. Our guardian angel, Boynton Bud. <laughs> you never know. We had not as dramatic, but we were once up in uh, in the Catskills up in oh. New York, and we were lost trying to find Beryl's friend was also up there at the same time at his aunt's house. Just coincidentally, his yeah. his aunt owned a house, a house that was in the like... same like kind of vicinity as my grandmother used to own the okay. house that we like visited. So we were like, oh, we'll come over and like visit. But it's like, you know, houses are quite far from each yeah. other. And like you said before, it's just like you'll hit roads that you could be on a road for 30 minutes and not a soul. See another person. So yeah. we're trying this. And it's like so far in the mountains, we had 
I had an actual GPS at the time. I don't know our phone maybe didn't have it or what, but it was like, and the GPS couldn't even get signal. Like, so we were just like kind of blind finally. And we like, just were so lost. We finally like see a house with people outside, like this family. And we like pull over and like just pulling over in front of their house. You could see they were kind of like staring at us. Like, yeah. the hell are these people? And like kind of slowly approaching us. It's like, hey, we're looking for these people, like this house. And it's like, um, we know her name is like Karen or whatever it was. He's like, do you know the last name? And we're like, no. He's like, what does she do? Like, it's like, uh, I think she's like a doctor. He's like, oh, you might be talking about it. It's like, they're just like, they know everyone. It's and like, they're like, yeah. And they were like, they were like, what's her name? We're like, what does she do? Like, give us some information. We could tell you exactly where. And like, they ended up being so framed. Like, I remember something like, again, like their son, like teenage son, who was like in a giant truck, like had just pulled up behind us right after we pulled up, they pulled up. And then he's like, oh, they're headed like out. Just follow us. And like, we'll point, like we literally like followed them for 10 minutes. And I was like, eh, this one, yeah. like, just like, this is the how, like we're headed that way anyway. And it was just like, again, it was like, when we pulled up, it was like, you could so see sketchy. they had the air of like, who are these people? Yeah. And like, we're also like don't know these people but then they yeah. end up being like like serious stranger people. danger yeah. right like we're all yeah. sort of conditioned and especially yeah coming back into america after you've been like mm-hmm. away or whatever mm. it was like yeah you did not know how that story was gonna end yeah. but then at the end of the day it teaches you like totally reminds yeah. you yeah. a very important lesson of not well, judging it reminded me of coincidentally another july 4th story As, well we're recording we're recording on the first of july yeah uh do you remember when we had to get a jump for your bike yeah, I was just thinking about that, too. Really? So, yeah. Do you want to tell her? Okay. At the time, I was bartending at this at this place in um, uh, Bed-Stuy. It was in New York. In Brooklyn. Um, not the Williamsburg type of Brooklyn. Right. Yeah. And, uh... Real Brooklyn. <laughs> just kidding. I mean, it was like, it, it was like, you know, closer to original Brooklyn, I guess. And um, uh, we had a lot of cops who frequented the bar. Um, which obviously, I mean, was a great asset for us. Um, and also like, they just like looked out for us anyway, like weirdly we would get perks like, like, um, uh, one of the guys was like, Hey, I'm working security, um, for the West side highway for the fireworks. So if you want to come to swing by my intersection, I'll like text you where we are. We'll just get you in. Because it's, like, the type... I mean, it's, like, to watch fireworks, like, from, like, the river, like, that's, like... I mean, people line up for that kind of stuff. It's, like... I mean, not to the extent of New Year's Eve, but, you know, I mean... And it's one of those events where, like... I mean, they shut down the whole West Side Highway. Right. And... But, like, I guess to keep crowd control, it's, like, you know, maybe, whatever, like, ten blocks long, but there's an only one entrance at, like, whatever, it'd be, like... 40th Street, right. so it's like every every intersection up to that has like a barricade of police to be like keep walking, like you got to go all the way up there and then come all the way. It's like that kind of shit. So, so at the time, Sean had a I guess a dirt bike. Or... Yeah, it was like a off like a motorcycle. Okay. Dirt bike. Yeah, and uh, we we like rolled up. We were you know struggling to find parking. Blah blah. blah. We walk in. I mean, the guy just like gives me a handshake. We like walk right inside. I mean, it was like. It was like, as a native New Yorker, like, I would never bother to do those things if we didn't know somebody, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, we had a great time, but, like, by the end of the night, as you can imagine, like, everyone, after the show, everyone is leaving at the same time, and there's just, like, a sea of people, like, moving, you know, through the avenues. 
we back get back to the bike, the battery's dead. So it's like, what do we do? I mean, you know, we're so far west, it's like pretty, I mean, it's like pretty remote. Uh, like, you know, should one of us wait? Should one of us, like, go to it? Obviously, I don't know anything about <laughs> motorcycle maintenance yeah. or the zen of. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember, like, how. So we basically, like, first off, we quickly learned, which I have learned before is nobody carries jumper cables anymore okay. like at all like not even cabs you'd think cabs are like professional cars so they would have that shit so nobody does and eventually Why? i don't know like i guess since like cabs get dropped off at garages they don't but it's like people rarely carry it anymore okay. i think also because everyone has AAA and that kind of stuff so we eventually find some guy like who lives there and this is like uh, there is, like, right by there, it's, like, in the middle of Chelsea, which is, like, kind of weird. Obviously, it's been there for a long time, but, like, a set of projects. So we're, like, in that area, and, like, a guy that lived there was just, like, oh, do you need a jump? Like, he, like, lived there, and I guess just saw us, and was, like, yeah. Like, I thought his car was parked right close. Oh, that might have been, like, he was parked next to us or near us. Right. And basically, like, helped us out, like, pulled his car around, tried to jump it, and then... Uh, like, it still didn't work, and he's like, maybe it's the fuse, and it's like, where the fuck are we going to get a fuse, like a vehicle fuse, right. at like 10.30 at On night, July like, yeah, the, July like, 4th. July 4th, yeah, he's like, I think I have some, and it's like, this fucking, randomly, the guy, like, I think he had, like, pulled his car, and that's actually where he's living, blah, 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 but it was just like, this guy had fuses, luckily, in his car, it's like, people rarely even have jumper cables, let alone an extra box of fuses, like, yeah. And, like, ended up, like, lending us a fuse, like, had a couple, like, just as a backup. So he's like, yeah, just take them. And, like, I tried to pay him for, like, a fuse. He's like, they're not worth, like, that much. And he's just like, and again, it's the total, like, total random acts of kindness. I like. love <laughs> stories of random acts of kindness. I, I do. I love being reminded that there are people who, yeah, just, like, want to help. Yeah. Yeah. But, and it also makes you, like, ah. One of these days, I will help somebody. Yeah, I know. It makes <laughs> like, me think, like, oh, God. You'll see some young time punk up. on the street, and you'll be like, I will save you. Yeah. Well, I, I tell people that all the time just from working here is, like, uh, my Chinese colleagues, it's like, one day you will come to America, and I will help you with English yeah, yeah, the way yeah, you yeah. have done so much so shit for me because I can't me. speak Chinese. Yeah, like, exactly. When you think about all the people who've, for all the things that can drive you so crazy about yeah. being here, when you think about all the people and all the times that someone has like oh my helped God. you do something you otherwise could never have accomplished. Yeah. I mean, top five posters, like the first series when we were, I mean, Sean's coworkers were essentially like our shipping and handling oh, assembly yeah. I went line. with three oh of them God. to the shipping place, which of course here, there's one right by our work. It's these places, you've probably seen them. It's like, they're just an open room. In the morning, they're empty. All of a sudden, like, yeah. it's like, you'd think it'd be like, you know, in the States, you'd have a UPS or whatever, like, shipping system. It's like, no, no. These are, it's like... It's just li- piles of... They're little, like, storefronts that just fill in with packages. Oh, People yeah. sort them on the street by hand, and then they go out by the end I of the know. day. Like, they're the most bizarre shit. And you look at that... Whenever you pass one of those places, you're like, this is... Like, how does a package ever reach That's what I mean. It's like, like, they're literally on the sidewalk sorting packages. Yes, and on, then by uh, the end of the night, the whole place is empty again. And it's like... And it was one of those. So we, like, went, and it was just like... I need to mail these shipping tubes, and the woman's like, "Yeah," and we just like my coworkers are just like filling out three of them, like they just ripped off like twenty forms, and it's just chaos. But I mean, we always tell we have a great story when we were in Japan, uh, and this was always my like um, story of like how nice people are in Japan and like do their job, blah blah blah. 
and it was like, so we were going away on a three-day weekend. We wanted to go to, or it was a four-day weekend at school, and we wanted to go to Kyoto, and we heard from people. So our campus was in the city, and like maybe four or five doors down, there was a 7-Eleven, and at the 7-Eleven, there was a bus ticket kiosk, so you could buy tickets just from like, looks like an ATM, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So we go down there. We had heard from other people who had went with Japanese to buy the tickets. And they said, even with a Japanese speaker, the machine was a bit confusing. Like, just hard to, like, whatever. So they were like, oh, shit. Right. None of us spoke Japanese. So it was me and my friend Jonathan. Um, we are like, all right, we're going to go get tickets for the three of us. We had Japanese class that day. So we went to our teacher after. And we were like, hey, can you write us a note? Like, that basically explains... Here's what we're trying to do, blah, 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 like to give to the woman at 7-Eleven. So she wrote us a note, it's like, we don't speak Japanese, sorry. We're trying to get tickets to Kyoto from this time, this date to this date, blah, blah, So we go to 7-Eleven, give it to this woman. She's like, oh, okay. I'm like, comes over to the machine, she's trying to buy tickets, can't figure it out. It's like woman works at 7-Eleven. Goes and grabs another clerk at 7-Eleven, a younger girl, maybe like 20, 21, it, at that. And, like, she tries for a while, can't figure it out, can't really ask us questions. There's something. She knew we were from the school because it's, like, right there, so they probably always see foreigners. And she's like, uh, okay, come with me. Like, basically signaled, like, come with me. And walked us, the two of us, and her back to our campus, to the building, to, like, the main office where there was, like, obviously English and Japanese speakers. Spoke with them to find out. Well, this is a 7-Eleven clerk. Yeah. Like, spoke with them to find out what we needed, like, when we needed the ticket. There were some questions she had, like, to finish, blah, blah. And then was like, uh, oh, and, like, it's going to be probably this much, like, do you have money? And was like, yeah, we have the money. And it's like, okay, I'll be right back. And we were like, oh, do you want us to come? And she's like, no, no, stay here. I'll be right back. So, like, went back to 7-Eleven with our money, bought these tickets, <laughs> came back to the school, and, like, gave us our tickets. And it's like, again, you're a convenience store clerk. Yeah. Like, you don't even need to, like... Literally, you could be like, no, be like, okay. I feel like, like that's extreme for anywhere. That's what I mean, but it's just like, holy shit, like, you went so above far above. Yeah, yeah. We were like, should we invite her? Like, <laughs> what should we do? Like, I feel Take so, her to Kyoto. Yeah, like, I feel so bad. This woman, like, yeah. went so above and beyond. I wonder what her, like, manager would make of that. Uh, I think it's like, the they would do that, yeah. She took a break. They just want to help, and I think it's, like, part of, like, we would just say, in general, you go to restaurants... And the wait staff would see we were foreigners and couldn't speak very well and would try so hard to speak English, like would be struggling to speak English to us. And it's like, no, no, no. We're in your country. We're in your country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're supposed to struggle. Like, why? Well, I think that's one of those things that's so funny about China because I was talking to someone the other day who was married to a Chinese woman and the sort of the difference in, um, in China, for the most part, willingness and hospitality and kind of this like mm -hmm. graciousness to to strangers versus like kind of the threshold he, he was using the example of like crossing the threshold into home and like yeah. once you're friends with or family with a Chinese person yeah. they will do anything mm -hmm. for you and people have done things for me in China that are way above and beyond what I think somebody of that same level of acquaintance would ever do for me in America but outside of that threshold you experience all the time here, kind of almost the opposite of that experience, where, like, it, it's almost appalling, and, like, I will get really upset yeah. because I can't believe that someone wouldn't help me or someone else mm -hmm. or whatever, like, in this kind of what seems like a common courtesy yeah. um, situation. Ugh.
yeah, it can get definitely pretty exhausting. <laughs> but whenever I have like moments of, of of frustration, I do try to remind myself of the times mm-hmm. when people have done really, really nice, generous yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. things for me. It can really go either way. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you've had a Chinese hospital experience. Oh God! I think unfortunately I've had like a handful of Chinese <laughs> yeah. hospital experiences. I think that, yeah, I think that me and like medical systems in China, it has been like a long drawn out yeah. thing. Um, yeah, that started in Chengdu six years ago when I feel like I just kept having these kind of situations where I, for one reason or another, had to get to a hospital or like a <laughs> medical clinic, and then like what would happen when I was there was just crazy. And again, I feel like to people who've also been here a while or ever gone through one of those foreigner medical checks where it's kind of like, but I remember, I mean, and and again, I'm sure everybody has that memory of like the first time I had to do one of those foreigner, Mm -hmm. you know, the kind of scavenger hunt Mm. medical checks where you enter a building, you're given like a form, there's like eight boxes to check (laughs) and there's like two floors and it's like a maze and you have to kind of get, you have to get them all done. Quite literally, that process has brought me to tears. Oh yeah. I have done that. I loved it, but probably because I went to the one by Hung Chow Airport by the oh, zoo, yeah. and there was no, it was literally door, 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 so right. it's like super easy. Mm-hmm. And very efficient. I, yeah. But, and, and I've done it in Shanghai, and I've done it in Beijing, and, but I remember this first time in Chengdu because it was just a shit show, and yeah. I think for whatever reason, the day that we went to do it, it was also like a day or time of year or time of month when a ton Everyone's of, doing it. like, migrant workers oh, were doing wow. it. And it was extreme. I remember Not so the best smelling of days. I remember so vividly trying to do the the blood sample part, which uh-huh. I was really worried about because I'm quite like germ phobic. Yeah. And I remember like all the other stuff was kind of like bearable, you know, even the kind of s- sketchily done X-ray and like yeah. the ultrasound and all this stuff. But then the the blood taking segment was like you walk into this room. There was like a <laughs> glass, um, you know, counter Condition. behind yeah. which yeah. there's uh-huh. the women, the nurses men and women who were taking blood and just and then like some holes where you were supposed to stick your arm in through for them to take your blood from the other side of the partition and this was a mob of people just like you've seen a mob trying to get a train ticket or just like you've seen a mob trying to whatever trying to slam their arms through the hole not to mention the floor is littered with discarded cotton tabs that they I mean it was horrific I remember being almost like yo out. <laughs> like I can't it's not worth it for me to get this piece up like, yeah. also just be like a pass on I mean one I, I, I don't know if it was that time or another time but I had to ask the person behind the partition to change their gloves I pointed out that the oh, gloves were the same yeah. that they oh. used on the previous person and instead of changing their gloves they turned around and they washed their gloved hands in the sink with soap and came back to me with the same gloves <laughs> and I mean I hate to say that because in many ways, um, there have been certain, you know, there's certain things that I'm impressed by, and I also am aware that this healthcare system has to take care of just such a mass yeah. of people that mm-hmm. a lot of things have to be, like, done, done to, to kind of get it done more efficiently. But I remember when my sister came um, to visit me when I was in Chengdu, and we went to Kunming for the, for the weekend. It was, like, the middle of winter. A really shitty time to go to Kunming. Like I've never been back to Yunnan because I like had this really, really good, dumb, really novice idea for me to take her to Kunming in December. But um, when we got there, I had I'd been having kind of like a stomach ache for a few days, and you know, in China, it's kind of like oh, shut up, like everyone has stomach aches sometimes. But 
I was starting to have pains that were like so severe in our mm-hmm. in our hotel that I really we both thought that maybe like my appendix was bursting or something. Like I thought I needed to get to a yeah. an emergency room. And we did go to the emergency room that we found and this hospital was just next level. <laughs> I know it was like the middle of winter and there was no I mean, maybe there there's were pains, up. but yeah, there's no all the windows are wide open for, you know, air circulation and whatever, which I guess is like kind of good in a way, but in another yeah. way. It's unimaginable to like anyone who's been in any other system. And yeah, just kind of the process of getting checked in and them trying to figure out what was wrong with me and watching my sister watch what was happening. Like I'd already been in China a year, so some of this stuff was shocking me yeah. less. But she, there are some images, you know, she swears <laughs> she like watched a man die. Than you. Yeah, like she swears she, there was some guy who passed us that in her retelling of it looked like he had been in a horrific factory mm-hmm. accident. Like two hours before, like it was like missing half of his face, and he's just walking like through the hallway, you know. Also needing to wait in the line to be seen by yeah. And I mean, it was just, it was just crazy. Like she'll never, she'll never forget that. I have, yeah. I I think that like I mean I think everyone in China has like stories like that. I'll just say that my mom, uh, you know, visited China in the eighties and then for decades did not return. Um, Like went on like quite an extensive bus trip, and she talks about having really bad food poisoning, mm. um, going to the hospital, blood spatters on the walls. Oh, my God. <laughs> they gave her a black pill that she had never seen before, uh, and uh, within 24 hours, she was completely healed, right? I mean, because, you know, local bugs, like, local remedy, like, they know what they're doing, right? And I, at the time, I felt like that's so extreme, like, that was, like, I mean, that was the 80s, that was obviously a long time ago, but... I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I told that story now, and people are just like, oh, yeah. Like, like blood spatter on the walls is, like, <laughs> it's like so universal and recognized, you know? I mean, to this day, to this day. Um, there was definitely blood spatter on the walls in, in the Crimean right? oh, I mean, yeah. Hospital. Um, yeah. I mean, of course, like, I've had my personal experiences. Very recently, um, a friend of ours shared that she went to um, the hospital that's right here in our neighborhood, um, for like a you know very common condition, and um, the doctor asked for her contact for her WeChat, um, and so uh, so you know she finished her procedure or whatever. She left the hospital a couple hours later. The guy sent her a text like, "Hey," she's like, "Hi, did I get test results back or something like that?" And then he responded with a selfie, and proceeded to just like ask her out. <laughs> Oh my god. I mean, that is, that's extreme, like, in any, I've never heard a story like that. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, mean, I feel like I that, feel like she's we're not like immune to that in America girl, either. But, I mean, oh, it's just like, I mean, like, above and beyond, like, unbelievable. I, okay, so, so I sometimes have to, I sometimes go to our local hospital, and, um, uh, I've asked Sean, uh, to accompany me sometimes. Um, we are just coming back from a trip in Singapore. Um, and there was a science museum, and they had, like, a pop-up exhibition, a couple pop-up exhibitions, one of which was Haunted Hospital. Haunted Hospital, okay? Haunted? Haunted Hospital. It was just, yeah, like... It was, like, a haunted house. Oh, okay. That was, like, hospital-themed. Yeah. And it's just, like, in the basement of this museum, okay. right? So, he was like, oh, man, we gotta go, and I was like, I'm not doing that. I, like, famously do not do well in any kind of horror situation, and I was like, I'm not gonna pay money 
to, to do get, this. Go get freaked out, yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. I was like, listen, there's like moving cartoon character exhibition across the hall. I will be there. See you afterwards. I like you couldn't. I mean, like you couldn't pay me to go into this thing, right? Anyway, so we come back to. It was great. It was great, by the way. It was worth it. You had to. You were in small groups, like on a rope. <laughs> Both times, I was like on a rope with like couples with like a girl, and it was just like they were more in, entertaining than like the thing itself. The like somebody would scare me, I'd be like, oh, like that was a good one. And then like somebody would scare me, and it would be one of those things where you see someone, you're like, oh, this person's gonna jump out. And I was the front of the rope, and I got by them, and they didn't do anything. I was like, I guess not. And then you just go like. Ah! Like crying, it's like well, I guess they they waited on that one. Jumped yeah, out to you it, can yeah. see their most yeah, their target. Yeah. I mean, better them than me. That's all I have yeah. to say about For it. For sure. So we come back to China. I'm like, oh god, Sean, I gotta go to the clinic. I gotta go to the clinic. Can you, you know, can you come with me? Right. I mean, it's a, I go in the middle of the night because I hate waiting in those lines. And like, if you if you wait until like after midnight, like the I mean, the walking clinic is still open, and like I I have it down to like science like I have like a bag that I take it has like extra soap extra wipes like a book for reading <laughs> you know like I bring um like the full kit right so I you know so like I, I've already done this before anyway we go in and like um you know Shauna's waiting for me he's like sitting in the seats it's like pretty open so again like similar to your experience like people with whatever condition are just like in the hall together right and they're all in the same waiting room so I come back to Sean. Sean is like hood up, hat on, like like earphones in, just like completely huddled onto himself, like obviously trying to shut out everything else, right? And like I was like, are, are you okay? And he was like, I can't, I can't be here, I can't deal with this. I was like, you just paid money to go to Haunted Hospital. I bring you to one and for this free. Is worse. Oh, it was yeah. way worse. This is literal death surrounding because <laughs> with the go at midnight, there's less people. Also, is like More yeah, but the people there, yeah, these yeah. are not like capital walk-ins. Yeah. And also not everyone has like, barrels. Same. Um, it's like hallways of just like old people. Sleeping or resting, but are like not I mean, great. It's like girls like, like in the yes. hall. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's like, people like, don't have IVs. their own rooms. Like these are literally people like on their deathbeds in the hallway. And I'm just like, sorry, I have not had enough death experience in my life. I am never in hospitals. I cannot handle this right now. Like, I love you, bye bye. I'm out of here. Haunted hospital. Yeah. The truly haunted hospital. Yeah. Real that life. Free. Yeah. And that one's free. Oof. Yeah, it's it can. It can thrills. get pretty, uh, cheap thrills. Cheap thrills <laughs> indeed. Somehow we're all still... But that will just prepare you for any hospital. Oh, God. I mean, yeah. yeah. I, 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 like, I try to keep my hospital um, experiences... To the minimum. Yeah, to the minimum. Um, but yeah, we've seen some pretty... Rough yeah. stuff. Some pretty funny stuff here. How are you doing on time? Do you have somewhere to be or anything? I think we're... Oh, shit. I did have somewhere to be at five. I, I can't believe it's four fifty already. Oh, sorry. Sure. But I think we're wrapping up. So do you want? Can we wrap up with like? Yeah, that's uh, not that. This part is on the podcast, no. right? No, we talk about time. No, Yeah, do you want to do a wrap up like a crazy district story, a crazy unravel story, or your road trip? A crazy Chinese road trip. Um, yeah, I can. I could. Your choice. I could wrap up with dealer's choice. Dealer's choice. Um. What is it? Can I think of a crazy district story or a story? I feel like the road trip is more 
permanent memoir. And it's a more it's a nice China thing. So maybe I, I feel oh, like, yeah, 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 feel yeah, like yeah. I'm doing like a nice China. <laughs> thing. Okay, yeah, I feel like I'm and their and their health system sucks. So you can tell us about your road trip across China. To lighten the mood a little bit from that. <laughs> yeah, after my, like, hating... I was all going on a rant against the Chinese healthcare system. Um, yeah. The Chinese road trip is one of those things I make myself think about whenever I feel frustrated. Yeah. Um, basically, when we turned up in Chengdu, again, all goes full circle, back mm-hmm. six years ago, and had very little idea what was going on, um, within, like, the first few weeks, we both had kind of picked up some teaching jobs, whatever, mm. and a couple weeks in, um, right at the end of September, my boyfriend at the time called me leaving a class and was like, oh, my, um, one of my students offered to give me a ride home, and in the car she asked if we wanted to go to dinner with her and her husband, like, mm. do you want to go to dinner? And I was like, oh yeah, sure, we were not like in a position to say no to any invitation yeah. anywhere. And so we go to this dinner, and it was how I first met this couple, Jenny and Hung, and she was this kind of like bubbly, really energetic, super eager woman. They were newlyweds, and she was a couple years his junior. He was like much more kind of serious, round (laughs) businessman. Um, But they took us this amazing dinner, and it was so nice, and it was very like, you know, it was kind of one of our first experiences one-on-one or two-on-two with, with, you know, Chinese peers, right? Even though they were a little older than us. Um, And towards the end of dinner, they were like, you know, it's the national holiday next week. What are you guys doing? It's the beginning of October. And we were like, oh, we, we, we just got here. We don't have plans. We're going to yeah. stay in Chengdu. And they were like, oh, no, 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 no. We're taking a road trip from Chengdu to Shanghai. Oh, my God. Uh, we're leaving tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Oh, my God. Do you guys want to come? Oh, my God. And I heard that. And I remember being like, you know, like, in my head, no way. Like, I love road trips. Yeah. I've had some pretty epic ones, but, like, not road trips that I don't plan or yeah. control. Also, that's a super gamble. Like, even if you had a great time oh at dinner, gosh. being in a car with someone for more than six hours, even six hours, is a whole Yeah, and at that game. dinner, in that conversation, I didn't even know off the top of my head how many how far Chengdu yeah. was from Shanghai. Like, I did not realize how big of a deal this would be. But just as I'm thinking in my head, like, oh, hell no, my boyfriend at the time without a beat was like yeah definitely and I was like what you know what are you insane and you know we leave dinner and he had like the next 10 hours to convince me to do it and he did so successfully because I think it was more like yo when I don't think he said yo but like (laughs) when in our lives would we ever get this chance again Um, and it's weird because in retrospect things about how truly unique that experience was become clear right like the fact that now six years later I recognize that not only was that road trip of that length pretty crazy but also the fact that people do not drive cars across the country here (laughs) people you know truck drivers you know take freight and take products across the country and there's buses and there's trains that transport Mm -hmm. tons of a huge flow of people across the country People do not take leisure trips by car. Yeah. You take That's a, like a very new thing for China travel market. For sure. Because like there's no like romanticism of it the way there is in for, like Route sixty six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well we ran into that sort of like tangent, but when we okay. went to Tibet, uh, our tour guy was telling us that now that it's you don't need to be on a tour group, 
there's a lot more Chinese coming over, I'm renting sure. their own car and like doing it themselves. But it's actually a lot of problems because the roads there are like totally chaotic because it's all these mountain roads. Right. And he's like, there's so many accidents now though because of that. Like people I, not from here trying to drive around. I'm sure. I mean, I think that like having your own car, and then on top of that, having like a luxury vehicle, which you yeah. sort of have to have if you're making taking a trip like this, is definitely a very recent phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And what we didn't even realize is, yeah, that that trip for them was such a big deal. You know, Jenny had never even been to Shanghai. They were both local Chengdu. He had traveled quite extensively for yeah. work domestically. Mm-hmm. But um, that that was like a huge kind of move for them. And they, you know, in, and they invited us to take, come along. Also, an interesting thing was that we were like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, and I remember my boyfriend being like, oh, we can like split gas and we can split yeah. tolls, you know, whatever. Of course, as you do. And again, another prohibiting factor of that mode of transportation here is that those highway tolls, like that's why people don't take road trips here, most people. Because I remember the first highway toll we took, like a provincial highway toll, was like 60 US dollars. Wow. What? And there's like 11, I mean it was, I don't remember if that was, you know, it was really expensive yeah. as well as, as gas. So in retrospect, I remember like at the end when we went to like divide up that bill, it was like, shit, this is way more expensive than, having, <laughs> than if we'd flown. Yeah. But we were, we were already in at that point and we, you know, got in that car with them at 7am the next day and we just took off and she spoke very limited English. She was mm. in class to try to learn English. He spoke no English at all. Oh my God. We spoke no Chinese at all. And that being said, she wanted to speak in the car the entire time. Practicing. Like, it was, you know, it was this non-stop conversation. To the point where, like, I was, like, fake sleeping at points, you know, just to be like, oh, my God, I can't do this. Um, But it was just this crazy adventure, and so many weird things happened Mm -hmm. on the journey. Like, it took, you know, two full days, I think, of driving, like, 12 hours each day to get to Shanghai, and we stopped. On the way there, we stopped one once in some like random industrial city in central yeah. China that again like I'll never see again in my <laughs> life. Were you like, were you trying to hit like spots in between there or that just was not a weird part like I don't think that yeah they just straight sounds like a straight shot so on the way there it was definitely a straight shot on the way once so then we got to Shanghai um spent I think two or three nights in Shanghai we all would stay in the same hotels and then after Shanghai we did take the, what what I think at the time, or I don't know if still now, was like the longest bridge in the world to, to Hangzhou. Does that make sense? I'm not sure. But, and then we stayed a night in Hangzhou, and then we went to the Yellow Mountains. Um, there was a couple things like more on the e- in the east yeah. that they wanted to check off their to-do list. But, um, I mean, of course, also just kind of taking in on the way from Chengdu to Shanghai, like that landscape, like it, it was crazy. Yeah. Um, and it is a huge... That's driving across the U.S., yeah, um, which I've drive. never done. I've never done east to west in, in America. Um, and so it was super, it was very, it was varied, like the landscape yeah. was quite varied. And then these places that we would stop and pull off, you know, and, and either have a meal or, or stay the night mm-hmm. in these kind of hotels where definitely no foreigners had ever, ever been, been before. Yeah. And just, I remember so many weird moments where we like revealed ourselves and our own kind of. Like, we stayed in this one hotel in this random place where... The hotel wasn't actually that bad. Like, we were sort of shocked because I think, it, you know, probably was like... They got a deal that was like 150 RMB a night or something yeah. wild. And it felt at least like, you know, kind of four-star, I'd say, almost like level. But then we, like, get up to our room and suddenly it was like, oh, the craziest loud singing that you could imagine. And it was like our room was directly above the hotel oh. KTV. <laughs> and, it, like, to the point where... Good luck. Like, you would never sleep there. You could yeah. never... 
and we had to kind of call our, our new friends that we didn't know that well yeah. and that the whole time was this like us mutually learning about each other's yeah. you know needs and wants and be like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry like they have to change our room yeah. like, we can't stay here and going back down to the, the hotel staff and then just being like so shocked that that was a problem <laughs> because like Chinese people wouldn't complain about that did you find that what you were saying with the hotels I, I, from the few that I've stayed at outside of Shanghai there is a very like you pull up to a hotel and it looks so nice and then the like longer you're there you quickly realize like how much of it is just facade like. yeah for sure definitely I think yeah like oh everybody like, went the, my first dorm experience when, when I did the scholarship uh, uh, language scholarship in Nanjing um as uh like as a foreign student um you know we had like nicer the housing. nice dorms and i like uh my room was in um the on campus hotel so it was like where they where they house like visiting professors and you know like guests and parents will stay there uh the exterior looks like i mean looks like a full hotel like a full i think i've stayed there <laughs> oh uh like Nanshan Zhuangjialo. Maybe. Oh my god. Okay. It's like, it's in Nanjing Normal University. So, so we're in the elevator and like every, I mean, so I'm on the top floor. Or, you know, as the doors open, you know, to let out the other guests. It's like every floor is like, you know, carpeting, patterned wallpaper. I mean, it looks like a fully functional hotel. Okay. Top floor. The bell goes off. The doors open. I swear to you, hostile. <laughs> Fucking like concrete walls. Like this is the, what you were. Like the like cliche like one fluorescent bulb flickering <gasps> like Dang wires God. hanging. <laughs> I mean, I was just like, what the fuck did I just sign up for? I was just like, this is. I mean, like I could not. I could not believe what I was seeing. Like I, I would consider myself a princess by any means, but like I've never had expectations. Just absolutely dash in the span of an say, elevator. I'm sure the elevator, like, is what like built you up oh so high. God. And then oh my god! Oh my god! And were the rooms so. as bad as the hallway implied? I mean, it turned out that like this is like a separate like wing of the building. Clearly, right? And so like on most of the other floors, it's like. If you go down this one corridor, that's for the guests. And then if you go down this corridor, that's, like, for the students. And our room was just as comparable as, like, everybody else's. I mean, like, it was, like, decently sized. For a dorm room, it certainly wasn't the worst one that I had ever seen. Let alone what the actual Chinese students are Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, the Chinese students, they didn't even have... They didn't have heating. They didn't have indoor... They didn't have showers in their building. So they had to go to another building. It's like a campground. Like they had to go to shower, another building, and like in the winter, I mean, you can imagine, like, kids would say, like, we just stay in the library the entire time because there's heating. Like, we just go and study and like hang out there until we have to pass out, and that's when you go back. Because <laughs> it's like, like bunk beds. It's like eight beds to a room. Yeah. And plus, like, if you can imagine, like, you were washing your hair, you have to walk outside in the dead of winter with wet hair. So I was just, so I was like, what do you do? She just goes, people don't shower. People just won't do it. It's too, I mean, it's too freezing. They don't want to get sick, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, wow, that must be really tough for dating, you know? <laughs> Guys, like, you know, refusing to take baths. And she goes, no one dates until the spring. 
That's so good. Love blooms. All right. Love blooms. <laughs> Love blooms. Clara, we had a great time talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks for, for having me, guys. God, and let's do this again. Yeah. The storyteller finally shares her story. Yeah. God. And if anyone made Once it this far, yeah, I'm sure you're here in Shanghai. Information about finding about Unraveled. Just Unravel. Oh, yeah. We, you can follow us on WeChat. Unravel Shanghai, one word. You can follow us on Instagram, unravel.shanghai. Or you can reach out via the old email, unravelshanghai at gmail.com. Right. Or you come, come see Unravel at Top 5. Yeah, Thursday, July, July 27th. July 27th, and this will probably be released a couple weeks before that, so... Come on see out. us all at once. Yeah. <laughs> all right, enjoy. Nick, on the grill of my low rider. Guns on both sides, right above the gold wires. I full five them. Kill a nigga on my song and really do it. That's the true meaning of a ghost rider. 10 G's to take your daughter out of Air Forces. Believe you me, homie, I know all about losses. I'm from Compton, where the wrong colors be cautious. One phone call, I had your body dumped in Marcy. I stay strapped like car seats. Been banging since my little nigga ride.